This is Game Changers, and my guest tonight is filmmaker Henry Jaguar. That's correct. That's correct. You've identified me correctly. I have identified you correctly. Right. And we're, we're in Henry's incredible home, which uh, I wish I could show you the whole thing because it is amazing. Thank you. So Henry is a filmmaker, an author, a screenwriter, a director, an actor. I've left things out. I don't know. He's done. That's a, that's enough things. Yeah. Um. And so, Henry, uh, where Henry's house is filled with collectibles, um, costumes, props, um, artwork. Where? How did you collect all of this stuff? Where, how does anybody collect anything in life? You find things you like, and you get them. You inherited some though, don't you? Right? No, my. Your no, mom? My, no? no, my parents. What they liked was very. Uh, French provincial, oh. very elegant, very, and I love Art Deco, mm -hmm. and they thought, my mother called Art Deco maid's room furniture, <laughs> and from her childhood in Berlin, Yeah. <clears throat> and so I have from her childhood in Berlin, like some blue um, mirrors and things that I just adore, Yeah. that she thought were junk, you know, for her my taste was like, was like maid's room furniture. So, okay, so tell us a little bit about your parents, because they were quite esteemed. And um... My father was from Russia, my mother from Germany. Mm -hmm. They met, uh, my, my father met my mother at Marienbad, I don't know if you know what that is, but that was a very famous resort in Czechoslovakia in the 1920s and 30s. They married in Berlin in 1930, um, went to a town called Danzig, uh, actually a free state in the Polish corridor between Poland and Germany. My father sort of ended up running the economy pretty much of that state. And was his father an esteemed... Yes, but that was in Russia. Okay. His father and his grandfather and, and before them were very successful, very prominent people in their town in Russia, but then mm -hmm. came the Russian Revolution. Right. And it took everything away from them. Mm -hmm. So my father crossed over to Poland and started all over again with his three brothers, and they created quite an extraordinary uh, world for themselves and their families. And... Um, then the Nazis came to power. The most interesting thing about that was they wanted my father to keep working because mm -hmm. he was running the economy very successfully of this free state, and they were doing all the trade between Poland and Germany mm -hmm. through Danzig, and they didn't want him to leave. And he said, look, I'm a Jew, and this is not a good time to be a Jew with what's mm -hmm. going on here, so I'm leaving, I'm giving you six months notice. They went to Berlin and came back with an offer, nobody knows exactly from how high up, uh -huh. to, to make him an honorary Aryan. They said, we will make you and your family honorary Aryans. And my father had the good sense to say, when they want to make you an honorary something you're not, it's time to leave. And he didn't even wait the six months. They went on a so-called trip across to Poland and flew to London and that, where I was born and never came back. So uh, that's the story of my family. Was your father a very educated man to yes. be running the economy? Yes, of course yeah. he was very educated man. Okay, so his... And I mean, his I, when I say of course, it was because in that position, how could you not... I, that's what I would imagine. So, um, where in Russia was his family from? Um, well, his family originated in Lithuania, but he was born on his mother's side of the family, which was Ukraine. Mm -hmm. But they came from an extremely uh, privileged position. And until the revolution, there was no problem. They were in great shape. And, mm -hmm. uh, but the revolution didn't like wealthy people. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was problematic. And they finally, they, he and his three brothers finally got left and created a whole new world in Central Europe. So when they started over, they were starting from scratch? They had a couple of diamonds in the shoes. <laughs> couple of diamonds in, in the, the shoes? shoes of, of my father's youngest brother. Wow. Uh, and he kept complaining as they were crossing one of the borders that his feet were hurting. <laughs> or 
upset and worried about that. No, I'm serious. Did that he was... not know that he had diamonds in his shoes? No, he didn't understand that. He was eight. And, oh. and, and um, the, they had no capital is the point. They did right. start essentially all over, except they had a big name. Because in Russia, the name was quite famous mm -hmm. in business. And so they had reputation and relationships with uh, other people. Uh, but nonetheless, he built it very much himself with his brothers in, in Poland and Germany. Uh, and my mother was from Berlin. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, then came the Nazis, and they offered him honorary airmanship, and you know that story. And so was your mother so also went to from London? Berlin? Yes, uh, from a very old family, a very famous family, actually, in Berlin, because her great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was a man named Moses Mendelssohn, who literally freed the Jews from the ghettos at the t same time the ghetto that, that, uh, that, oh, it's a long story, I don't want to even go into this whole thing, but um, he, he was the first person to translate the Bible into European languages from mm -hmm. Hebrew, and he, uh, he was, he was the, the religious Jews didn't like him because he promoted a kind of integration uh, which Einstein said enabled him, Einstein, and people like Freud and Einstein and the ones who changed the world, ultimately, uh -huh. to enter the mainstream of European uh, society. But this is not, why are we talking about I, I don't know. I, I mean, well, it is an just... interesting story, and I'll, my, it, it'll all be in my book, which I am now writing. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Good Hello? Yeah. I'm writing to... a book, which should be out next year. Yes. Uh, I'm actually in the middle of discussions with different publishers. Uh-huh. Um, Called the third stone on the on the second row, which is how I got my name. I won't even bother you. A jaglum, where that came from. Okay. Uh, it's in the Bible. It's the brother of of, of uh, yeah. It's Moses's <laughs> brother who was the who was the chief rabbi, you know, first rabbi. Anyway, uh, Aaron, who was his name? You might have heard of him. No, A A R O N. Aaron. I've heard of Aaron. Well, in... all of Aaron's names come from the brother of Moses, Aaron, who was the high priest. Wow. Of ancient Israel. I am a Kohen, for whatever that's worth. Well, good. Then you're from a, a high tribe. Then you're from a, well, a, a <laughs> tribe of, of, of teachers mm -hmm. and uh, religious leaders. You don't seem to fit that. My, no, but my father was a Hebrew teacher and his, ah. his mother was a Rebbitzin. Look all, at that. Yes. My God. So, so I come from that. So you're the first to break an incredibly long 3,000-year-old tradition. <laughs> I but ruined the whole thing. I ruined the whole thing. Okay. So anyway, yes. anyway, they went to London, where I was born, came yes. to America. Uh, in New York City, where I, from the age of two, grew up, mm -hmm. and that's the story. And you grew up in privilege. Yes. Why do you keep emphasizing? Because I, 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 it's amazing to me. I don't. I really don't know people that come from that kind of background. Oh, so no. it's fascinating to me because it's a very. It, it. You are not that in that you are a worker among workers. I mean, well, do you, you think you, the people who come from privilege weren't workers? My father was an incredible worker in order to attain the privilege. So, I mean, these people were not, you're thinking of very spoiled aristocrats and people who don't do anything, but that's just one kind of prejudice that you have. Yes, it is. Uh, about <laughs> the successful people. The other side of it is they were privileged because they were creative and successful and, uh, in their lives. So my family was a very successful one, yes, but they weren't happy about me going into show business. Okay, that was my next question. Which I think is, uh, is something we can relate to. That's where I was going. Okay. So how early did that happen? When did, how did that happen for you? Uh, my mother, every New Year, every Christmas holiday, took us, me and five or six other kids from my school, mm -hmm. to a Broadway musical. And I kept wanting to know what was going on backstage when somebody went off stage mm -hmm. behind the curtain. I was fascinated by what, what happened.
and she realized that that showed an interest in something uh, and, and put me in some Saturdays crazy acting classes which hooked me for life. So do you remember what your first Broadway show was that you saw? No. 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 Uh, well, yes, actually, I, I've written it down, so I, I do know it. What was that? It was, it was, I, I, I think, it, oh, God, Inside USA. Inside, it was, you wouldn't know it. Wow, I don't. It was called Inside, what's long before anybody's time. It was Inside USA, and B. Lily, I think, was it. Anyway, um, yeah. Because, you know, my first Broadway play was with a, girl, with, with a friend of yours, Georgia Brown. Oliver was the first Broadway play that I saw, oh. also with Davy Jones, who... David. David was David at the time. Can you? But you have a great David Jones story. I do. Yeah, because I believe you were maybe responsible for him becoming a monkey. Were you not? Oh no. Well, well I, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I, I think I might have brought him into for the audition. I can't remember that so well, but I knew him well because my lady friend was the only, the older lady in my life. <laughs> I, I feel important, important to mention that all these years later because now it couldn't be an older lady, but at that time she was. Uh, a very lovely affair for a few year, a year and a half and her she starred on she also made a lot of albums Georgia Brown loves Gershwin love yeah she mm -hmm. was a great singer and uh, and as you say she created a part on Broadway and in London uh, in Oliver how'd you meet T Tuesday Weld another girlfriend I don't need to be dropping names here <laughs> no you are this is you this is the place but to drop names I, I, no no I introduced Tuesday Weld to Dudley Moore who they ended up getting married uh, 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 and along somewhere, Dudley, Dudley, of course, British, okay. was friends with Georgia. I'd okay. forgotten how. How did you meet Dudley? I was up in Boston doing a show called The Uncomped, the, which was coming off Broadway. Mm -hmm. No, see, I'm, I'm mixing things up because there's a lot of different things. I was in Boston doing improvisational theater okay. in, a, in, a, in a hotel, uh, and we were quite successful. It was, uh, anyway, and they, Dudley and Peter Cook mm. and, and the others were doing Beyond the Fringe before it came to New York mm -hmm. in Boston. And we met at a party, we were introduced, and we shook hands, and he did this, and I did that, and he did this, and I started doing that. <laughs> we ended up doing shtick together without talking, without knowing each other wow. for at least 20 minutes, and everybody started gathering around us. We both came from improvisational theater, right? and we hit it off fabulous. It's a good story, and I've never told it before. I've never told it or even, uh, even <laughs> thought to tell it, and it's a damn good story. It's a damn good story. And, and years later, I knew Tuesday from my own relationship with her and introduced her to Dudley, and they got married and had a very difficult mm -hmm. and complicated life, but some children, and... Um, How did you meet Tuesday? Oh, um, mm -hmm. that's a good story, too, but that's too hard to tell right now. Oh. It's a good one, though. I loved her. She was, I still love her. She, she's great. And you? And I starred her in my first movie. I was going to say, you broke place. her. Mm -hmm. uh, I broke her? Well, I mean, you broke her career. You, no. You, no, well, she, was anything, already, she was already She famous? was very famous. Oh, okay. If anything, I pulled her down because oh. I made a film that was not successful commercially. It was an art film, mm -hmm. which you're not supposed to make for Columbia Pictures, you know, and uh, they were not too happy with it. They didn't know what to do with it. And I thought it was the only chance in my life that I was going to be given a million dollars to make a movie. And it was because I had been involved in editing Easy Rider that I was given the chance to uh, make the movie. And I thought, since this is my only movie, I'm going to do it. It's, it's going to be, you know, it's not. It, I'm not going to follow some conventional rules. And I made quite an, I think, an extraordinary film. Mm -hmm. Columbia released it very unhappily, and it was a disaster. 
uh, but it's one of Tuesday's best performances and it's one of my best movies. I still think 21 movies later. Have you seen it? Yes, I have yes. seen it. And oh. all right, we, but we've skipped over too many important things. It was things a play like that I had done at the Actors Studio with Karen Black. And we need to go back to that because you uh, you skipped over the fact that you helped edit Easy Rider and yeah. a lot of things happened between the time that okay you got to okay, guide so, me a little so bit. I'm yeah so I'm going I want to go back so I want so the bug first hit you because your mother would take you to Broadway shows she took me to Broadway shows and I was a clown I was a comic okay and what really happened was in school mm -hmm. I was very bad at sports and I was like okay. a, a thin little thing and all these big mm -hmm. boys were hairy and muscular mm -hmm. and. Um, you had to you had to go to you know gym and do all these things and mm -hmm. so they put me on a basketball court. <laughs> I liked the shorts, but the rest of it didn't appeal to me very much, and I couldn't possibly throw the ball so it would go into a basket. So what I did was I dribbled the ball right into the wall, and I got a laugh. Uh -huh. Then I started finding out that if if I went for it and didn't try to succeed at sports, mm -hmm. but succeeded at being pathetic. And, and Jerry Lewis was very big in the movies at the time. Yes. So I was there doing Gen Gary and doing that thing and falling down. And I got the laughs right. and I fed my need uh -huh. desperately to get attention mm -hmm. and ultimately to go into show business, which at first I started by doing stand-up comedy okay. in the early 60s. So how did you do that? How did you, how did you create your first act? How did you do that? How did you know to do the that? The improvisation was just started. Okay. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a club that's now in New York and California and oh, a yes. lot of other places, but then there was one just on 45th between 8th and 9th, I think, or 44th between 8th and 9th. Yeah. And, and Bud Friedman. Well, I painted the original sign, the improvisation, for which I got three months of dinners. <laughs> uh, wow. And which was a great deal. And I, but oh. I painted the improvisation. I can't huge thing. that. And, and Richie Pryor and I mm -hmm. were not. Richie. Yeah, I heard that. That's not pretentious. That was his name. It's not pretentious Richie, at all. It's Richie. just that you knew him well enough to call him that. I've never heard him call that except by you. Well, okay. Mm -hmm. I never heard anybody call him anything else who knew him. So Richard, Richard Pryor and mm -hmm. myself did a lot of stand-up mm -hmm. at the end of the evening. They, they didn't, we were not known. Right. So they had names, a different kind of uh, Rodney Dangerfield and people <laughs> like that. And then about 2.30, quarter to 3 in the morning, mm -hmm. when what you had in the audience were a few cab drivers, a couple of hookers, some drunks, you know, then they let me and Richie go up on stage and we did a lot of work together. We even planned a TV series, believe it or not, I wrote this whole outline. Right before Cosby and what's his name came up with that, uh, it was the first black white. Oh, uh, Robert Culp. Uh, Culp and Cosby. What was that show called? Whatever uh, that's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, blew us out of the water. I Spy. I Spy. Before that, I had written and I was producing and working with mm -hmm. Richie, Richard Pryor. You can call him Richie. It's and okay. um, in my book, mm -hmm. which is coming out of drawings, mm -hmm. I've got a wonderful one of very young Richie. And so we got, we, but we couldn't, they wouldn't let us perform until the end of the evening. And our audience was, as I said, kind of a very uh, low grade of people, but to make mm -hmm. them laugh was harder than anybody else. Ah. So it was very challenging and good because they were mm -hmm. drunk mm -hmm. or they were bored hookers or, or taxi drivers <laughs> who wanted to go home. And we're coming in for a late night uh, mm -hmm. coffee because liquor was no longer being served. Oh no, liquor was never served at the improvisation. What am I talking about? It, it was wasn't? after they came. No. Okay. So, uh, so we, you know, we really had to work. That's where Richie first did this thing of taking off his clothes, which was <laughs> when I realized that I didn't belong in comedy. <laughs> Not that I don't have a cute figure, and, and certainly then I did. But, but the problem was that um, 
I was not as spontaneous as he was. Mm. And uh, he was creating a whole new thing in, in comedy. And I was uh, doing a verbal thing in comedy, mm. a very, uh, I don't know if you know Mike Nichols and Elaine May, but that kind of, yes. that kind of stuff. Mm. And I came from, uh, I did, in Boston, I did this thing with the same theater group that Mike Nichols and Elaine mm. May came from. And we, you know, my be worst evening, if you don't mind my telling you, I'm way, I don't know why we're doing this. I'm going way off any subject. That's all right. Okay. That's my worst, worst evening as, a, as an entertainer mm -hmm. was in, in Boston on the stage of the, whatever the hotel theater, the hotel restaurant was. Mm -hmm. Every night we did improvisational theater in front of about uh, 200 people eating. And, oh. and it worked very well. Mm -hmm. um, and um, one night it didn't work well. No, nothing I could do. And I was doing President Kennedy. And the guy, the other guy was doing Khrushchev, mm -hmm. and we were doing it at a press conference mm -hmm. where they threw out questions from the audience, and we did things, and I had to be fast and funny, and I had to be, I was written in the newspapers as the, the fifth Kennedy, because wow. I had pictures of myself in a very Irish-looking way. Oh. <laughs> and and uh, every New Year's Eve, some Irishman came up to me and asked me if I was, if I was uh, Irish, or what county, he told me what county I came from. Anyway, the point was... What was the point? Who the hell knows? Oh, so when I so I was trying to do a kind of comedy uh, of uh, you know intellectual, right, left wing, anti establishment verbal comedy. <clears throat> Shelley Berman, Lenny Bruce, Lenny Bruce was Lenny. our god, mm -hmm. our absolute god. Mm -hmm. I got a great Lenny Bruce story that I can't tell, unfortunately. What do you mean you and can't tell? No, it? I just realized that I never told it. So, I mean, I'm never going to tell it. No, 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 no. I can't tell it. No, it's uh, that's not the point. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you're doing stand-up. So I'm doing stand-up, and Richie takes off his clothes one day and gets the biggest laugh in the world, and I realize that he's funnier than I am. Mm -hmm. I've got to do all this verbal intellectual stuff, and he, he understands something viscerally about violating the rules. Mm -hmm. and, and he had a need that was, of course, far greater than mine, mm -hmm. and that was that, was, that was that. That was the end of comedy. Mm -hmm. But I'd done an off-Broadway with Karen Black and a couple of uh, Peggy Pope and some others. We did... Is that where you met Karen, doing the off-Broadway show? No, she was my girlfriend, after Brenda Vaccaro, who was my first girlfriend. No, my first girlfriend in college was Sheila, who I still see out here now, all these years later, so I won't say her second name. Okay. Um, wonderful, wonderful first girlfriend to have for a few years in college. Then came Brenda, Brenda Vaccaro. Brenda were you acting together? Did you know each other from theater? We knew each other from theater groups and mm -hmm. from going to theater together. and. We met through a mutual friend. Uh, she was living with uh, Jessica Walters. Walter, I don't know if you know who she is. Yes, I know who she is. Actress who yes, she is. Married a guy who went to school with me, but what's his name? Okay. And see, too many associative links that I that I have that you can still, you have to gear, you know, I'm going to go um, way off. That's all right. You steer I'll, me back. I'll steer you back. So I'm going, so I'm going with stories. Brenda. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years, mm -hmm. uh, and then is she already successful? She became successful during when we were going together. She was packing chocolates for a Hungarian, okay, a little shop in New York. Mm -hmm. I forgot his name, and she was doing that, mm -hmm. and so she wasn't successful. Uh, then she got some auditions, and she got a Broadway show, which the name of which I forgot. Okay, uh, which started her career wonderfully. Um, but I was there through that three period, that three year period. And if if you look you on the internet, yeah. mm -hmm. anybody who wants to can look at my parents' 25th wedding anniversary on the internet. Yeah. And uh, No, it's not on my 25th wedding. I did go. There's a party that I, my first party that I gave at my parents' apartment mm -hmm. when I was 23 or 24. And, uh, and she was a couple of years younger. And um, it's on the internet. 
I don't know how it got on the internet, but it's in the, on the internet. It's kind of exciting. All so right, well, I'll, sur I'll search it. We've got it. Dudley Moore and Peter Cook and, and, oh, Jesus. and Sir John Gilgood, who showed up with, with uh, all, all these extraordinary people you watch now. You can watch them now at the party. So, uh, what was I saying? You were talking about Brenda and if she was already successful. That's all right. So, so Brenda, so was, Brenda, Brenda was, broke. Now, Brenda what are you yeah. doing at this time? Uh, desperately trying to go from comedy. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. To acting. I okay. Came, so I came to California during that period. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, God, there's so many stories. But I came to California. I know. You have the best stories. No. I no, just, you do. You have great stories. Yeah, I, you have to make me a little selective. But I, okay. I, I, I'm no good at that. I just want to tell everybody everything. <laughs> I came to California uh, trying to get work. Went yeah. to different studios and mm -hmm. casting directors and couldn't get anything. Um, and um, eventually... Yeah. Uh, became friendly with a, a man who had been my teacher, my, my counselor in summer camp, a man who had made me stand naked at night out in the dark holding um, bricks in each hand while he dribbled water on my forehead what? With, and, and turned a flashlight in my eyes as punishment for reading after dark. It's a complicated story. But what, he, what kind but of he camp ended was up this? Camp Kohut, Oxford, Maine, an extraordinary... Uh, well-off camp wow. uh, of very privileged kids. Mm -hmm. And he was Bert Schneider, who was the son of the head of Columbia Pictures, who became in turn Bert Schneider, who did the monkeys, produced the monkeys mm -hmm. along with his partner, the brilliant director, Bob Rafelson. And Bob Rafelson got me in for auditions at Columbia, and I got a co-starring thing with, with Sally Field in mm -hmm. Gidget. Yes. And then I got one in with the, with her in the Flying Nun, <coughs> where actually the two of us were alone, trapped in a cave. So it's a, only a I've two seen part the scene. Now. It's oh. a, it's fabulous. Yeah, it's yes. not just the scene. It's an hour. Well, it's amazing. Yes. Isn't it? It's yeah, an hour. Yeah. I'm stunned by that. Uh, yeah. Now that's all on the internet, which mm -hmm. is always amazing. And um, so that was my acting career started. And uh, what do you want to know from there? I mean, I've, okay, so your acting career started, and so in the meantime, I had gone to the actor's studio, which is okay. a very important thing okay. in my life because at the actor's studio, I met a lot of people, including the, a man who was in the uh, playwrights unit. And I would, had been writing I, in college back at the University of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I had written, directed, and starred in a, a one act play called Room 322, which won something called the J. Howard Reber. Memorial Award. I never found out who exactly J. Howard Reber was, but a great producer from New York. Mm -hmm. oh, God. One of the biggest ones still around after 50 years. Um, wow. Came, came up, he was the young producer then, and everybody talked, oh, I can't remember names. Uh, that, you'll see, you'll see, a couple of years, you'll see. And, and Oh no, I'm already there. And he, yeah, isn't that amazing about oh. names? Names, why names? Do you know they say Ashkenazi Jews have a hard time with names? That oh, happens to be something had, that I am telling you. You and your Ashkenazi Jews. Okay, everybody. <laughs> I am too, but that doesn't mean that we can prove anything it. scientifically. Everybody starts with a said, You're much too young to be having this. I was 63 yesterday, or two days Mazel ago. Mazel tov, Thank you're you. still too young yeah. to be having this. Well, anyway, the point yes. is what was the point? <laughs> the point is that you were a playwright, you won this award. I won the J. Howard Reaver Memorial Award, and. Bert Schneider came to see it. No, not Bert oh. Schneider, this wonderful producer. Uh, oh. Anyway, gave me the $50 and the check and the thing. It's my first money in show business. Uh, and uh, I had written it, but I also had directed it. And that's mm -hmm. when I, and oh, and then I directed the Browning version, which is a famous play. 
And when I did that in college my senior year, mm -hmm. they had a picture of me, one of my acting pictures from mm -hmm. New York, which I had been using, smoking a cigarette and looking very intense. And it <laughs> said underneath it, Director Jaglum. And I got it. I just got it. Wow. This is who I am. Wow. I'll keep acting to, to make a little money here, to get my career going, to meet people, but I'm a director. And I, that's what I started working toward. Mm -hmm. And then a disaster happens. That's not a disaster in real people's lives. But for me, <laughs> I'm washing my feet in, in the sink at a little house that I was living in, a little small house that I was living in Hollywood. Okay. And I was up for mm -hmm. a part in a movie. Mm -hmm. The movie uh, was directed by Mike Nichols, who I knew, was written by Buck Henry, who I knew, was produced by a man who I knew. And I was incredibly excited because I had been in love with J.D. Salinger's work. Mm -hmm. And for me, this was a continuation, this movie, uh, which was... The Graduate. The Graduate. And, yes. And I knew that I would get it because I knew this was my destiny. And I was washing my feet in the sink. Wait, why were you washing your feet in the sink? I don't know. People keep asking me that. <laughs> well, why, why would you wash I, your feet I, in the for sink? For some reason, I, because I remember it because it's unusual. Yes. I was walking, watching, because I remember where the sink was in relation to the phone in the bedroom. Okay. And I was washing my feet in the sink and I got the phone rang. Mm -hmm. And I, I for you young kids, uh, there were phones before things were carried around. You had, you had to go to where they were. They didn't come with you. So I went into the bedroom and picked up the phone. It was the producer, mm -hmm. uh, who uh, another friend of mine. And again, yeah. as I mentioned, I was socially friendly with all these people. Yeah. Um, who telling me that they found this kid from New York. And it was a kid I knew. Oh, you knew him? Oh, very well. Dusty Hoffman. And, and uh, he had done a couple of weird things in New York. It was very kind of interesting and good. But Were you at the actor's studio at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. But he wasn't that cute. And I was adorable. <laughs> and I, this was a great lesson for me. Because, oh. uh, because I thought, because I was so cute and adorable and winning in my way. And everybody was, <laughs> everybody was you know, having a good time, fun with me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I had not considered the fact, talent. That was another area. I just had all the energy and the capacity, the need and the desire and everything. Mm -hmm. But along comes Dustin Hoffman, who was, was ten times the actor I could ever be, mm -hmm. and he got the graduate, and it fucked me up. Oh, excuse me. I don't no, know you're, you're, that's quite all right. It messed me up, and I decided I'm not going to be an actor anymore until I can put myself in my own movies, until I direct my own movies. And I stopped, I got rid of the agent that I had, who was disappointed and because he got me the flying nun and the mm -hmm. gidget and uh, thousand plane raid you never saw me in that no i don't know that but i'm an air force pilot i loved it during world war ii you know bombing mission over europe thousand plane raid did anybody see that movie 10 okay people probably <laughs> uh, really enjoyed it uh and and um what what else so so then i became committed to directing um and so this is still the this is the sixties still yeah. When was the graduate the, in the sixties? Yeah, graduates in the sixties, I, I believe. I, I, well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. My God, that sounds insane. Yeah. So the flying nun. And That's all the sixties. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. All right. Oh, of course. What am I talking about? Yeah. My first movie. Let's see. It gets very. You'll see. <laughs> um, in nineteen seventy. Oh, in nineteen sixty nine. Yes. I went to Israel. No, in 1967, there was a Six-Day War. Right. The Six-Day War broke out, and I just wanted to be in Israel. And I had this desire to be a filmmaker, mm -hmm. but I didn't know anything about it. Okay. So I, I bought a little 
Instamatic camera. It didn't even have a zoom lens. They didn't, you know, and there was of course no sound. And right. you put little clips in there, and it was like five minute clips that you could shoot for five minutes, and you have to take it out and put another clip in. Okay. This was the most rudimentary little cameras. Uh -huh. And I went there, and, and because I had access to friends who were journalists and other people in mm -hmm. the film, I, I had access to a lot of uh, occupied territories, and I would find these tanks which the Egyptians had left, and the guys had run away. Uh, the Egyptian guys and left their shoes in the sand, so I was doing the shoes, and I was running up the hill, mm -hmm. and I was doing close-ups of the tanks, and then I was running down, and I was doing, because you could, I, I, I didn't know anything about editing, and I didn't know anything about, there were no zoom lens, so I had right. to edit it in my feet, I think it was called editing on, on, on foot, or whatever. I did that fundamental thing, and mm -hmm. I came back to America and showed all my friends, bored them to death with this five-hour <laughs> silent, though I put on army music, Israeli army songs, <laughs> making them listen to, but it was visually very interesting. Uh -huh. And, and uh, one of those friends was my former counselor who had made me stand up like this, mm -hmm. Bert Schneider, who was Bob Rickelson's partner at this point wow. in BBS. Uh, and they had just made a film with Dennis Hopper uh, called Easy Rider. Hello! And, and they were having a problem because Dennis, God bless his heart, was told by a French director who came over, mm -hmm. it's perfect, don't let them touch it. But it was four hours and 17 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And he said to Bert, it's perfect, I don't want to touch it. And Bert said, I, I can't release a film, Columbia won't release a film, what are you talking about? We have to edit the film. So Bert remembered my editing, and he... You're on the feet editing that you were doing. Yeah, he remembered the whole movie that I bored him with two years <laughs> earlier, or a year earlier. And he was one of the people that I'd made watch it. And uh -huh. uh, this is nice because I've never gotten this actually down. So I'm glad to have this <laughs> a record of this, this story because it's a good story. It is a good story. And uh, he hired me to edit Easy Rider along with Jack Nicholson. That is just the craziest thing. And I didn't even know anything about editing. As I told you, I ran on my feet. I right. thought, I didn't know you could cut, splice, change things, move them over here. Who knew? So I was in one editing room with my editor. We weren't editors. You needed a union person with white gloves. I see. And Jack was in the next room with his. And Jack said, all Jack said to me was, you take it from the front, I'll take it from the back. Or, or okay. No, you take it from the back, I'll take it from the front. He didn't want to be accused of, uh, of self-aggrandizement of his part. Uh-huh. So I did, I think, and, and Dennis... Had, had he directed before? Had he no, edited rather no, before? No, no. We both wanted to be directors, though. Okay. We used to go to all the movies together, all these Kubrick films and everything was a very exciting period. That's very distracting to do that, you know. How did you meet Jack? I don't know. Okay. All right, so you... Oh, I do. I was in a screening of a movie and there was a woman behind me who kept talking, two women, and I kept telling him to shut up because I was enjoying this weird movie. And the two women turned out to be Carol Eastman, who had written the movie, mm -hmm. and Helena Kalianatis, Jack's great friend, uh, who you have seen in many of his movies. And we became incredibly close friends. Carol, till her death, was one of my closest friends. Uh, she, she wrote under the name Adrienne Joyce. She wrote five easy pieces very famously. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Helena w was one of the hitchhikers in, in uh, five easy pieces, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. She was a great character. Who's living in Mexico now? And um, uh, what, where was I? Uh, Jack. Talking about Jack and that you were so, each in so, two different yeah. editing things. So we were, we basically, uh, you know, put the movie in its final shape under the supervision, I must say, of Bob Rafelson mm -hmm. to some extent, and Bert Schneider certainly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, but we showed them every few days what we were doing, and that brought it all the way down. And Dennis finally came to realize this was not a bad thing since the movie went on.
to, to do a, make a fortune. But I was offered by Burke mm -hmm. for this job of editing. I think it was seven weeks. Eight, uh, no, it was eight weeks, but it was $8,000, which was a, a fortune to me, mm -hmm. or a half a percent. So I said to my father, this very smart businessman. Right. Listen, uh, you know I've never made money. I was under contract for a while to Columbia in the middle of all that. Uh -huh. And when I was under contract before doing the flying on, they were paying me 500 a week, and I was very excited about that. Mm -hmm. Now here I was being given $1,000 a week for my work, you know, or a half a percent. So I go to my father and I say, what should I do? He says, what's the picture? I said, I don't know, it's a bike picture. Mm -hmm. it's two guys riding around on bikes. He said, listen, movies don't make money anyway. Very few. If they really are going to pay you $8,000, that's your first real money that you're making in show business. So take the $8,000. And the, the secretary to, to Bert, mm -hmm. lovely, wonderful lady, also got a half percent. Took the half percent. She wasn't given an option. She took the half percent, and I understand that her half percent is well over eighty eight hundred thousand dollars, if I'm not wrong. Today, somebody I'm sure will correct me. Maybe it's seven. Uh, but I got eight thousand. So uh, <laughs> the one bad decision the, your father, father ever made. My father said to me when I tried to use it as a way to say to him <laughs> something. Get the. <laughs> He said, yes, but you know it was the right decision because statistically, one out of a thousand times, mm -hmm. you're gonna, he wouldn't even give me that. <laughs> My tough father, he just, it was not the wrong decision, it was the correct decision, but it was unfortunate, mm -hmm. but it was not, you didn't make the wrong decision. Of course, I couldn't have made the wrong decision since it was his recommendation, you understand. Yes, of course. Right. So, so you now, so, okay, so now you have editing experience, you want to be a director, so what happens after Easy Well, I, I had written a play at the Actors Studio that, mm -hmm. that had been very successful. Some very prominent and important people had seen it and encouraged me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I turned it into a play, into a film, I mean. Uh, I wrote a script of a film from the play, A Safe Place, Right. and Bert Schneider said, Everybody involved in the success of Easy Rider gets a chance to make their own movie. This was an extraordinary man, Bergstein. Okay, so that's Unlike worth anybody more in than Hollywood the, history. That's worth more than the eight thousand dollars. That's huge. Much more. Yeah. Nobody was going to give me anything ever. And Jack Nicholson <clears throat> got a chance to direct his first picture, which was Drive. He said, which he's in, and he and I had made a deal. Whenever we get to direct our first movies, mm -hmm. you know, we were huge Kubrick fans and, mm -hmm. and saw a lot of European movies together. He said, whenever we'll be in each other's movie, so. I was in Drive, he said, which is his first movie, and he was in A Safe Place. Now, by the time A Safe Place came around, he was making about $2 million a picture, and, the, and A Safe Place call, cause, call, cost a total of $1 million. So obviously I couldn't, so I said, listen, I don't think, you, I don't want to hold you to our deal. He said, I need a new color television. They got a new process where they project that. So I, I, he did the film for me for a color television, which was nice. Wow. Yeah, that's Jack. That's Jack in a nutshell, actually. That's really lovely. Very generous person. And um, that's the story. So then I, the Safe Place was and a so disaster. And Tuesday was in it also. I, Tuesday played the part that Karen Black had. I had done it at the actor's studio with Karen. Mm -hmm. um, and Which put, one's your girlfriend at this point? When I did it at the actor's studio, <laughs> it was Karen. When I did it in the film, no, it wasn't. It was, it was after Tuesday. Okay. It was Barbara Flood, mm -hmm. who's in the movie. Um, Girlfriends are harder to keep track of than movies, you know. <laughs> In uh, your life, anyway. Don't, keep, don't quote me on that. Oh my um, God, yeah. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> um, so what? So the movie was a disaster. They couldn't get any funding to make another movie. Okay. Uh, except the actresses particularly liked 
Tuesday's work, mm -hmm. but I did a good job with her and wanted to be in the movie. So I got a call from this big agency and they wanted to take me on, on the condition that I would go and do another movie. I said, sure, what is it? It's in Argentina, seven months in Argentina. Wow. What, what is that? It's Brenda Starr. What's Brenda Starr? It's a comic strip about a female detective. I said, oh, you know, I'm very female oriented in my interest and in that. And you know, who owns it, they said, is, oh, come on. Somebody. I don't know Brenda Starr. No, okay, okay. Who owns it is, who starred in 10? Bo Derek. Bo Derek now is a big star after oh. 10. Uh -huh. And she's got a hold of this thing, and her husband is going to direct it. He was an actor who had not been successful as an actor, but became successful as her producer or manager. What was his name? Oh, God, oh, Derek. Gorgeous, John Derek. The most gorgeous man you've ever seen in your life. Really? Oh, drop dead gorgeous. Wow. He, he did a movie with Humphrey Bogart about a criminal. I forgot mm -hmm. the name, and he was just... But he wasn't a great actor. I don't remember him as an actor. He was not an actor, but mm -hmm. he was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And and they married Bo Derek, and he was now her manager, mm -hmm. and they wanted me to direct this movie. And I said, eight months in Argentina with Bo Derek doing a movie about a comic strip, just, I just don't somehow. And my agent quit on me if I wasn't willing to take, there was a lot of money involved. And- um, You turned it down? Yeah, I turned it down. And I didn't work for three years until a hustler came around who I liked and knew. Mm -hmm. I've always loved hustlers of a certain kind. And this was this is a guy named whose real name is Howard Zucker, but he used the acting name Zach Norman. He's been in many, many of my he's movies. Wonderful. And he is wonderful. Mm -hmm. But as Howard Zucker, he raised the money for me to direct my second film, which was Tracks. The way he raised the money was going, they had a they had a very corrupt thing with the government then that you could deduct all kinds of money from movies, oil. Uh, digging, I don't know, other very speculative things, mm -hmm. like six to seven to one rate or something. And he raised from dentists and doctors 25,000 here, 20, and he put together a million dollars. And I started preparing this movie, and along comes Bert Schneider, mm -hmm. my friend and supporter, who says to me, we're having a problem. We've just made a documentary called Hearts and Minds, and uh, Columbia will not release it because the don't want the political reasons. Okay. The war in Vietnam is raging. Mm -hmm. They don't want to upset the government. I don't know. I don't want to go into the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But Warner Brothers will release it if we give them a million dollars to buy back to buy the film, so it can give pay pay Columbia the million it cost them. Okay. Remember, he's he's making movies for a million dollars each. So I said to Zach, who was totally non-political, Zach, I'm, I know you've raised this money. It's taken you three years to, for me to make tracks. Can we just take it away from that and give it to Bert to give to Warner Brothers so that they will release Hearts and Minds? And to his everlasting credit, my totally <coughs> non-political friend, Zach Norman, Howard Zucker, said okay. Wow. We got the Academy Award for that. Oh so my. The only award my name and Zach's, Howard Zucker's name are on for best uh, film of the year. Oh, I don't know this. Film. I've never heard this story before. Yeah, it's a good story. It's a good Bert story. Schneider accepted it with a speech that upset everybody about uh, North Vietnam on, on behalf of the people of Vietnam. He's oh. accepting this. Bob Hope got furious and Sinatra got furious. And, it was, and Jane Fonda was clapping. And Jane was with us, yeah. I was part of a group at that time. That's another story. But Jane Fonda and I were part of a group that was running uh, a big organization with about 1,600 members out here. The Entertainment Industry for Peace and Justice. This was during the war, the Vietnam War. And we were sending shows out to uh, to, to anti-war shows uh -huh. in venues close 
to where the army was doing these big shows with Bob Hope and others, mm -hmm. pro-war, mm -hmm. you know, and we wanted the soldiers who we were very sympathetic to, to see the other side of it. And so in between mm -hmm. the politics, we had a great, uh, I got some wonderful stories about that, but I don't know. You know, what's crazy about this is I threw Jane Fonda out there just because she was anti-Vietnam War. I had no idea that you, of course, had connection to her and did this with her. Oh, we were, yeah. Total surprise. Yeah, she, Donald Sutherland, and a group, about five or six others, and myself were on the executive committee running, Jesus. making these anti-war things all mm -hmm. over the place. And we had a huge organization in the Hollywood business. I mean, we had, I don't know if it's 2,000 or 1,800. We had all kinds of people, and we were putting on these anti-war shows mm -hmm. around the country, trying to follow the Bob Hope, the pro-war things. And I've got a great story, but I don't know if I should tell that about that. Um, Why, is it controversial? I don't know, Jane, I've never, I've never said this, so I'll, I'll get, we'll do that for some other time. But it involved, I like the stories you've never told before. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it involves Streisand and other people. Oh, oh you... I'm not you... going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Okay. So um, I have to have some discipline. Um, so, <laughs> so, 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 Zach, so what happened to the movie so you were going to make so with Zach? So Zach yeah. goes back out to these doctors and dentists. Right. Oh, I'm happy to see him the second time. <laughs> And but he's won an Academy Award now. That's right. He used that to raise another five hundred thousand, not a million, but five. Okay. And we used that to shoot Easy Ride uh, tracks. Uh, tracks. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dennis Hopper starred in it for me, and it, it's in my many people's opinion his best work. Uh, he so he great. forgave you for cutting Easy Rider down from four and a half hours. No, he, it, it was not a first. It wasn't me. It was a group of us. Right. Um, I, I and Jack and under Bertshire's supervision, but he was never, Dennis, once the film was so successful, he was extremely happy. Right. Uh, and he even hired me to act in his next movie, which he then cut me out of, but that's, I think I left, I left because of, yeah, that's right. That's another story. Mm -hmm. that, he, I was in, uh, what's that called? That movie was um, up in Peru, way up in the, in the heights of Peru. Uh, anyway, uh, I went there and I couldn't, uh, these huge guys, these other people, Robert Mitchum's son and all these big guys riding on horses and snorting coke and drinking incredible amounts of this horrible alcoholic things that you can't even imagine raw rum. I don't know what they were, and they're fine. They're very and, and I'm I can't breathe because it's so high in the climate. And I bought little tins of tuna fish to because I'm scared to eat the local food. And the, and the bottle of water says Jesus. You're drinking Jesus, and I was scared to tip my lips on the bottle. You know. I'm, and I got sick. I, I'm the oh. only one who got sick. And all of them had, you know, whatever pr provisions prevented them from getting, I don't know. The alcohol. And, and I had to leave in the middle of the shoot, so I got a teeny thing left, I think, in the movie. Mm. Anyway, why do I tell you that? Okay, so we're talking about your set. So Dennis was in your movie, maybe his best performance Not ever. maybe. I, well, oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm willing to say it's, uh, it's certainly his best performance. Wow. It's, uh, you'll see when you see it. And um, and what else? And that's that way. But tracks once again. Couldn't yeah. I went around to every one of the seven studios. There were no independent distributors then. They right. didn't exist. Right. No, everybody turned it down. Mm -hmm. There was only one thing worse than Dennis Hopper then, because that was after that was after the big failure of his second movie. Of, so Easy Rider doesn't count. It doesn't matter. It, it counted, and he got the money to make uh, to make. Uh, what's it called? All right, I'll look. To make, well, don't do that to my brain. Right. To make uh, the movie in Peru. Yeah. And uh, what's the movie in Peru? I've just been talking about it. We well, never had the name. 
You're kidding. No, we never had the um, um, so, uh, well, okay. so I'm, okay. I'm going to his IMDb. Oh, yeah, but we can't take all this time. No, you keep talking. So, so um, well, I forgot where I was now. So you're talking about Dennis Hopper's, tracks comes out, but it, you make... Well, oh, no, you can't get distribution The only it. thing that they wanted less than a movie with Dennis Hopper right. was anything about the Vietnam War. There had been no oh. movies yet oh. criticizing the Vietnam War. Okay. This is a this is a strongly anti-war movie. Uh huh. And they all seven all six or seven studios passed. Uh, would, right. Would, and there was no independent distributors, so I got it open three weeks here, one week there. It was. Uh huh. And then I had another few years where I couldn't make a movie, and I said, "Damn it, the hell with this! I'll tell you what, uh, they don't like my serious movie, A Safe Place. They don't like my serious movie, Tracks. I'm going to give them a piece of silliness." And my brother and Zach mm -hmm. had been on the train along with Dennis Hopper and Tyrone Power, the girl, Tyrone Power's daughter, the girl who was going to play the lead, but uh, who plays the lead in, anyway, in tracks. Uh -huh. And we're going across the country, but Dennis Hopper is not in any shape to shoot. And I didn't know this. And now I'm on a train, three days going across. I got my brother and Zach, mm -hmm. who are working in the business side of things. I've got... Um, no, no star. Dennis Hopper is so stoned out of his mind that he can't act. He can't <laughs> give me anything. So what am I going to do? Yeah. So I started shooting my brother and Zach in tracks mm -hmm. as a comedy duo because in life they're both hysterically funny, bizarre characters. Mm -hmm. And that ended up as a very nice part of the movie. Mm -hmm. So now when I'm ready to do movie number three, I decide I'm going to make a movie starring my two crazy my brother mm -hmm. and my crazy friend, mm -hmm. and uh, just about these two guys who rip off the mob and steal the money and go down to you know Florida and escape to Costa Rica. A complete piece of nonsense with them for no money, mm -hmm. which Zach raised, uh -huh. again, very little money, 300, I think, thousand. Wow. And it made a fortune. It was popular, it played all over the place. Which, which movie is that? Sitting Ducks. And it's, you know, of, it's, of all my movies, it's the only one that I, I'm not proud of. It's not bad, it's uh -huh. fun. It's, mm -hmm. It harks back to my time in comedy. Mm -hmm. But it's just not about, it's just silly. And it's sweet, and it's ridiculous. And they loved it. All the critics here, all the critics in London and Europe, they loved it. And it was a gigantic hit. Wow. It made a fortune mm -hmm. uh, for the distributors and a little bit for us. Um, and um, that was that. And then my first wife left me. And I'm depressed. I go back to my home in New York or California. I'm back in my apartment with my parents, crying my eyes out. How old are you? I don't want to tell you. Uh, no, I can tell you. I, how old was I? Thir late 30s. Okay. And um, so Patris uh, has left me. Um, and I'm devastated. So I say to her, can, can, we, can we do something about this? And she says, wait, no, that's not true, see? I was <laughs> devastated, and I run into my old girlfriend, Karen Black. And she says, what's the matter? You look terrible. And I said, I'm living in this hotel. I don't want to live with my parents anymore. But I said, I don't know. And she left me, and I'm... So she said, Karen Black mm -hmm. said, let's make a movie about it. And we made a movie mm -hmm. um, called uh, 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 Can She Bake a Cherry Pie? Because she was then at the improvisation singing songs, and one of the songs she sang was Can't You Bake a Cherry Pie, Billy Boy, Billy Boy. And we made an absolutely wonderful movie starring her and my, my brother, mm -hmm. and it was quite successful. 
and it helped pull me out because it's a movie in which the main character mm -hmm. is playing me and her partner, in, in her case my husband, in my case my wife, mm -hmm. has left her and she's walking around in New York by herself talking to herself and doing, behaving like I was behaving. Mm -hmm. And we, I used that as a starting off point. And that was quite successful and also more importantly helped me get out of my yes. deep pain mm -hmm. and move forward in life. And was that the first time you did something that autobiographical? Yes. Did that start that trend yes. for you? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then I definitely wanted to do a real autobiographical thing. Mm -hmm. And I asked Patrice if she wouldn't mind, my ex-wife, my now ex-wife. Uh -huh. No, we were not yet. We were still going through the thing. And she said, right. okay. And we made always. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes called always, but not forever. And uh, the success of that was enormous and uh, wonderful. And, and that one you put me. yourself in. I, I co-starred with mm -hmm. her. I finally did what I was going to do when I was washing my feet and Dusty Hoffman got the... <laughs> Got them my movie, and I still you started in a movie. movie. You know, I never saw in, in uh, what's it you called? You never saw The Graduate. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -mm. Still, you just a, couldn't do it. I still don't. Isn't that amazing? Forty some odd years later, I don't think I could do it. I I understand. Um, I just don't want to do it. I, I understand. It's quite the film, but I, I understand. I know it is. Yeah. I know it is. Mm -hmm. And he turned out to be quite the actor, mm -hmm. way beyond anything I could do. Mm -hmm. yeah, real great because he was also a character, a real character actor. Mm -hmm. and a wonderful one. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I don't want to go there. So, okay, so, so now always is the first time that you're putting yourself self in the movie. And uh, I called Orson Welles up one night and I said, Okay, wait, wait, what wait. What do I do? These people don't wait, know wait, that wait. you know him. Okay, go ahead. What do I do? I'm going to make you go back and tell you how you met Orson. Oh, okay. But what do I do? I'll call, okay, but you'll have to accept yeah. the fact for now that Orson and I are very close. And I say, look, I, I've never done this before. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I've done it on stage, but I, I, it's film. How do I direct other people with me in the scene and, and direct them and act, not self-consciously as an actor, mm -hmm. and yet watch what they're doing as a director? And he said, you separate them. You have to separate them. You are either an actor or a director. You are never both. When you're doing both, you make a decision. In this what? scene, in this shot, do two shots, two scenes, five, do four each. But wow. don't try to direct an act. You're just an actor. You're not a director in that shot. Now you're just the director, and you're just watching the other actors. Wow. And it was the greatest piece of because since then, as you know, I've done four or five, six movies with me in it, and it never failed to, to free me from any self-consciousness, any problem about directing myself. That's a brilliant note for people out there who are That filmmakers. is, and I've never told that story before, so you got an exclusive. That, that's, a, that's a really good... I hope uh, this is working. No, it is where, look, I, there we are. I have bad his, oh. historical... Yeah, but there we no. are, and we're clear. We're not blurry or anything. Okay. We're on the air clear. Okay. So that's... That's, that's an, not us, because that's not now. To be fair, it is. That's right. It's It's, it's, it's about a 30-second delay oh. on live feed. Then I should sit, see myself sitting up in the chair. So, and, yeah, you should, it's good when you sit now. up. Come on. So, <laughs> sit up. There you go. There you go. There you go. So... See, yeah, it's better when you sit up. Yeah. So, so that's a, a, so. How do you do? So, how do you practically do that? So, if you're being you the director it, in that scene, you have to just simply say to yourself, "I'm not paying attention to what the other actors are doing. I am only interested at this moment in me as an actor." Okay. Or, oh, when you're acting, right? Or I'm not at all interested in my acting. I'm only looking at the other people. Wow. Yeah, I'm doing my lines. I'm I'm doing right. my moves, but. 
And frequently, of course, the best stuff you do is not the stuff when you're just acting, but Absolutely. when you're just directing Absolutely. and you're not conscious of yourself. Absolutely. And spontaneous reality. I bet those are the truthfulness. I bet those are the takes that Some you of get. the best. Yeah. yeah. Some of the best. So okay, so now how did you meet Orson? Orson Wells, for those of you who are how not many, how many Orsons are there? <laughs> I don't know. Orson Bean. Yeah, it's true. There is Orson Bean. Yeah. Um, and there are a couple of others. So and my son, who is Simon Orson Jagger. Oh, I didn't know that. Simon is my father's name. So. I know Simon, yes. Um, so, one day, I get this deal with Bert Schneider to direct a play that I've made into a movie, A Safe Place. Mm -hmm. And I think, what did I always want to do as a director? I always wanted to direct Orson Welles. He's just this mythical character from movies. And so I write a part that was not in... Uh, the, the play, play. Mm -hmm. but which served the play I thought extremely well and importantly and it, and it does mm -hmm. of a magician who tries to make something disappear and he's a sort of a lapsed wonder rabbi mm -hmm. from Europe with a kind of Yiddish accent and you know and it's a great character mm -hmm. and how am I going to get Orson Welles the only person I know who knows Orson Welles is Peter Bogdanovich who's mm -hmm. an old friend so I call Peter I want to get Orson Welles in a movie he says give me a script, I'll get it to Orson. I said, I don't have a script. He said, why? I said, I'll tell you the same thing I'm going to tell Orson. If I, if he's not going to do it, it's not going to be a written part. Mm -hmm. If he's going to do it, I'll do it for Orson. Mm -hmm. So I have to know first that he's going to do it before I write the thing. He said, Orson's not going to like that. I said, just tell me where he is. So he was at the Plaza Hotel. I flew to New York, got up to his apartment. I've told this story before. Uh, he opens the door. He's this gigantic purple grape in silk pajamas. He's huge. <laughs> filling the entire doorway. He says, what is it? Who are you? He doesn't say come in or get, he's not polite. Right. And I said, I'm Henry Jagnon. I have an appointment with you. He said, you don't have an appointment. I said, I do. He said, wasn't that for seven and this is 11 or nine or whatever it is? I said, well, the plane was late. I don't know. I just came directly from the airport. Yes. And he said, well, I'll, I'll, I, what do you want? And we're still standing in the doorway and I said, I've got a movie I want you to make. He said, well, give me a script and I'll read it. Mm -hmm. He said, I said, I don't have a script. He said, you're talking. And we're still in the doorway. <laughs> I said, because if it's not, if you're not going to do it, that character's not going to be in the movie. So what am I going to write a script? It's for he said, well, I said, just give me 10 minutes to listen. Listen to me. He said, well, you can come in. I'll sit here, but I won't listen. <laughs> and he crosses his arms, he crosses his arms over his gigantic self <laughs> yeah. in his purple silk pajamas uh -huh. and he's looking in the other direction and I start selling this character of a wonder rabbi who's trying to make something and I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm making it up as I go along because <laughs> I just want Orson. I'll figure out later how to use him. And, but I have, a, I have a sense of a character who tells old Hasidic tales and is now a lapsed wonder rabbi and uh -huh. he's wandering around Central Park. Uh -huh. And I finally said the right thing. I remember that Orson loved magic. Yeah. And I said, you know, and this, this wonder rabbi is a great magician. And I see his head. I felt, <laughs> I wasn't even looking at his head turned. I said, but he, he can't practice his magic unless he can make something disappear. He knows that he has to make something disappear. He goes to the animals in the zoo and he's trying to make something disappear. And until he finally succeeds in making something disappear, he, he, can't, he can't win, he can't, we can't. And, I, and he said, does he? Does he make something disappear? I said, to answer that question, you'll have to do the part in the movie. Oh my God, you have balls, Henry. Well, I don't like to think.
think of them as that animal, but uh, you know. But Jesus. Bosom. I'm, I'm gonna. Bosom. That 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 was that was very. Uh, wow. Yeah, I know what you mean by yeah. that. It was it was, uh, but you know, I, isn't there a female equivalent to that? I think I don't know because I say I have balls. What, what so what was the what, what was his Ooh. reaction to that? So so, what do you mean? What was his reaction? He said, "Can I wear a cape?" <laughs> and I knew I had him. I knew I had him. And as it turned out, he didn't wear a cape. As it turned out, he's in the park and he's upset. He's upset, and we haven't yet shot anything. And he's arrived, mm -hmm. and he's being annoying. And Ipsy, mm -hmm. and he said, I, I, "If I'm a lapsed wonder rabbi, I've got to have a hat. Even if I'm lapsed, I'm still a Jew from Europe. <laughs> I'd have a hat." So I said, "Okay, let's get you a hat." He said, mm -hmm. "But it's got to be the right hat." And I, I, I thought he's stalling. He's trying to get out of this. Mm -hmm. My uncle, my uncle, Munchik, we called him. His name was Solomon Schoenberg. Okay. Solomon, his son called Munchik. Okay. Little, little Solomon. Mm -hmm. Solomon Chick, my uncle Munchik, comes and is startled because his nephew is directing a movie. Oh, he didn't come to see the set? No. no. He's walking through Central Park like they did every week, uh -huh. every day after the working, and he was working in my father's office. Mm -hmm. And um, he came walking through the park and he sees his nephew mm -hmm. directing Orson Welles. <laughs> Talking to Orson Welles about it in a movie, and he's completely stunned. Yeah. And he says, Henry, and I said, Munchik. And Orson says, That's it. And he points to Munchik. And I said, What's, what's it? This is, my, this is my father's cousin, uh -huh. um, uh, Solomon Schoenberg. He says, No, no, your hat, your hat. Can I have your hat? And my uncle Munchik, with his Central European accent, whatever it is, said, well, I suppose. Uh, and he doesn't know what to do. He hands him this kind of strawish hat. Orson puts it and said, that's it. That's the character. I can do it, not never. Wow. So, Munchik, I said, Munchik, do you mind if we keep the hat? He said, no, no, Orson Welles has my hat. He told that story for years, my uncle. Oh, my gosh. So uh, that's, uh, what, what, that's how I met Orson. Then I make the movie. Yeah. Years go by. Mm -hmm. I've heard from many people that he really likes what he did in the movie, mm -hmm. but he doesn't tell me anything. And I run into him at a restaurant that I am now frequenting, that I know he's frequenting, but I not, didn't make the connection, mm -hmm. called Ma Maison. Mm -hmm. And I go to Ma Maison one day, and I bump in physically, almost. I mean, I'm coming in, he's going out mm -hmm. with a group of people. Henry, Orson, we hug, we kiss. Uh, I said, I'll never forget this. I said, nothing more complicated than, I said, how are you? And he said, I've lost my girlish enthusiasm. And I said, oh my God, that's devastating. I, I, I can imagine what that means. What do you mean? Mm -hmm. How can you tell me? He said, you got an hour? I said, for you, Orson, yes, I have an hour. And we sat down and he started telling me all the difficulties that he was having, being unable to get the money to make this movie, to finish that movie, to do this and so on. And we became, we started having lunch together at Mamma Maison once or twice a week. Mm -hmm. And out of that springs the book, I should sell it now. Wait, you, I, you were recording? Well, no, I wasn't the first, okay. first couple of years I wasn't mm -hmm. recording. And then one day Orson says to me, um, listen, I want to write my autobiography or something. I said, oh, please, you should. Mm -hmm. Haven't you been making notes? No, he said, because I'm always spending all my energy trying to get this movie made or mm -hmm. that movie. Uh, I'll write it when I'm too old to physically make a movie anymore. Mm. I said, okay, that, that's a shame. He said, but I don't want to lose all my stories mm -hmm. and all my memories. And you know, by that time, who knows what, how foggy you get. 
do me a favor, and I always carried a purse, a black bag, mm -hmm. uh, usually black, not always black, mm -hmm. I mean, just <laughs> depending on what I was wearing, <laughs> but a little like shoulder bag. Uh -huh. And he said, you know, they make these little uh, uh, recording devices, mm -hmm. the, that little, what are they called? Uh, tape, tape recorder. Tape recorder mm -hmm. that fit right there. You could fit it in the bag, put it in the seat, I, so I don't notice it's there. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah. And he said, just... So we collect everything because we had all the because I got him always talking about his life and his career because I was fascinated. Can I just stop you for one second? Of course. What made him tell you that? Well, why do you think that first day when he was leaving, he'd already had lunch, you were coming in, you hadn't seen each other in yeah. years. Why do you think he knew that know. you were a kindred spirit? I don't know. It didn't occur during the making of the movie, mm -hmm. except one thing happened during the making of the movie that mm -hmm. I should mention, and maybe it has to do with it's a really good question. I mean, that's really the right question. Mm -hmm. and I you know, I've told this story countless times. Nobody has asked me that question. So good for you. That's really the right question. So what was the answer that I had? So what is the answer? So um, it didn't happen during the movie except you said something happened during the yes, movie. Yes, except one day he hasn't yet started working, mm -hmm. but he was hanging around watching me. And he said to me, you're trying to do something kind of interesting, aren't you? It's not a conventional kind of... I said, yes, I hope mm -hmm. so. And he said, well, what's, what's any problems? And I said, the crew. The crew is driving me crazy. Mm -hmm. Especially the cinematographer who had just come from doing Love Story. And the, wow. and the big Hollywood crew that Columbia oh. Pictures had. I said, mm -hmm. he said what, what are they doing? Uh -huh. I, he said, every time I try to do something that's not in the script, and, I, and my way of working is to improvise mm -hmm. and to create, he said, oh, I love that. He, and he, I said, well, good, because mm -hmm. that's what I like doing. Uh -huh. And um, encouraging the actors to find areas of themselves and other things. Uh, but every time I do that, he, they look and they say, it's not in the script. Mm -hmm. It won't cut. It's not in the script. It won't cut. Mm -hmm. And they give me the, and I say, I want to do it this way anyway. And then they get heels dug in and they don't want to do it. And then I get an argument. And then they, my, my production manager comes over. My producer gets called. They have to talk to the cinema. And find wow. Then they're grudging. Uh -huh. and they're, they're driving me crazy. And I've been shooting maybe uh, only a week, mm -hmm. maybe 10 days by that point. And it was driving me crazy. And he said, oh, you should have. I wish you told me before. I said, I didn't, you weren't here before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, he said, tomorrow, what time do you work? I said, 11. I, I've got your French hours, which is something mm -hmm. I always insisted on, which was great. <laughs> Uh, I said, 11, and he said, oh, you're my kind of director, 11 is wonderful. He said, same, first time they come and say, well, shoot, you know what you tell them? I said, what? You tell them it's a dream sequence. I said, why? He said, just trust me. You tell them it's a dream sequence. I thought he doesn't know what he's saying, even though it's Orson, <laughs> silly. And I go back to work. Mm -hmm. I get a problem, and I see him off watching me. Mm -hmm. And I sort of, he smiles at me, and I think, Okay, so I say, oh, uh, I, I didn't mention this is a dream sequence. And the cinematographer and the, and the second and the, and the lighting. Oh, a dream sequence. Well, why? I, I can get on my back this cinematographer. <coughs> What's his name? Cretina? Dick Cretina. I can get on, I can do it this way. And oh, you know what will really be psychedelic? Now, this is the 70s. Right. I'm, I've got long hair. I'm wearing jeans and capizio, white, white capizio dance shoes. Nice. Ballet shoes. <laughs> Uh, and a scarf. <laughs> of course. Um, and they are guys who showed up the second day that I was there looking at me with American flag lapel pins. It's during the Vietnam War. Oh. They realized I was counterculture. Right. And they were they immediately were building back. a wall. Mm -hmm. So that was part of it. And then my asking them to violate the rules. So 
the dream sequence. Well, why don't I get here? Look, I could, I, I could do. I said, I, I had to calm them down. I could come down to find her. I said, I said that would be great. Would you try that? And from then on, they were just magnificent the rest of that day. So I, that night, I go up to Orson's suite. He's got four steaks and twelve baked potatoes. <laughs> Which I was dealing with on another level, watching and thinking, oh my God, is oh, yeah, what's yeah. he going to be like tomorrow? Oh, yeah. And um, I said, it worked. It worked every single time. Mm -hmm. Why does that work? He said, you see, these people have very hard lives. They're hardworking people. They're working people. And they have a job. They make good money, but they're still within a certain kind of frame of working people mentality. Uh -huh. And their work is their work. And then they get home. And they have maybe a dinner with their wife or see their kids and then they go to bed. And life is pretty structured. It's pretty right. strict. It's pretty specific. Uh -huh. He said, and they've got so many rules to their life. But the one place when they go to sleep mm -hmm. that they don't have to worry about their rules is in their dreams. Because in their dreams, they're free. Anything can happen. He said, so if you free them from thinking that everything has to be as safe and structured and constructed and, and predetermined as it is in life for them, then they're free to, to act out like they would in, about their dreams. That is so brilliant that I can't believe it. It's one of the most magnificent things I can I can ever have, have ever heard in my life, and it worked. And but you can't have, have it. How many dreams made, can you have in a movie? I have made twenty mm -hmm. more movies since then, mm -hmm. and there's not one where I didn't say to somebody who was giving me a trouble about this is not in the script or this is not even actors. Mm -hmm. Just imagine it's a dream sequence. This, the freedom that that gives people for some reason, wow. the reason I guess he explained, mm -hmm. to um, free themselves and be creative and not be you know, narrowly conforming to the strictures mm -hmm. that they have always been taught. This has to go here, this shot can be here, it has to come at a slow angle. Mm -hmm. and, you know, suddenly they're free to experiment and they were so sweet from the rest of the movie they couldn't, have, you know, and their lapel pins disappeared. That was the most touching that thing That is so interesting. It was as if they understood, I'm not the enemy. They don't wow. have to make a point. Yeah. Wow. And I think I got a few comments like, that's a, that's a nice sweater, or some, you know, cute, like, clothes comments. Uh -huh. Because I was such a different sort of character from, from right. what we were used to. And it was a wonderful insight Orson had mm -hmm. into the mentality of these very hard-working people. So that moment happened before... Before he started to confide it, so you oh, had that. Before. So you had right. that thing happen. Oh, we—that's a good point. Mm -hmm. We had that happen, and that opened up a big, a big yeah. warmth between us. Mm -hmm. And then at night we would talk, uh, you know, so frequently while he's eating all his meals, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to deal with that. And we would have conversations, and uh, it, they became easier and more fluid. But I would not say they were yet crossing the line to real friendship, but mm -hmm. they were very warm. Mm -hmm. And he was helpful in many ways. When I, when I was shooting, mm -hmm. at one point I, he said, I said, okay, I got it, Orson. He said, what do you mean you got it? I said, well, we did this three times mm -hmm. and I, I, I got it. He said, well, I sometimes give myself 23 times. Mm -hmm. And he was being annoying again. Mm -hmm. And I said, but I've got what I want. Mm -hmm. He said, but you don't have what I want. And I said, well, what would you like? Mm -hmm. He said, I'd like you to give me 23 takes if I want them. <laughs> and I said, okay. Okay, mm -hmm. I'll do that on one condition. He had been going around turning the other rest of the going over to the other actors and not meaning to, but directing them a little bit, saying mm -hmm. to Tuesday, you know, if you do that, saying to Jack, all this. 
So I said, you let me direct the actors and I'll let you have as many takes as you want. And he said, you can do that? They'll let you do that? I said, they'll let me do that. But on the condition that you don't stop telling Tuesday or the other people, you know, mm -hmm. come to me if you've got an idea. I welcome any ideas mm -hmm. that you have. You're awesome fucking wells. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know keep, mm. give them to me uh -huh. and he did and that was a big step in our friendship I think yeah I bet he respected you for I that I stood up to him yes but I gave him what he wanted mm -hmm. and all he was was insecure he never needed more than two or three takes after that never asked for more wow because he knew he had them wow and I and he let me do something which apparently directors don't do with actors which is ridiculous he told me which of the takes he thought was best. So I made a mark on them with an O. And was he right? Almost always. Always. Yeah. Almost always. Mm -hmm. If not, it was a technical reason something. Mm -hmm. And I, I marked with a little O next mm -hmm. to the take Horses he wanted. Mm -hmm. And it saved me a lot of trouble. It was brilliant. So then when we ran into him and he mm -hmm. says he's lost his girlish enthusiasm mm -hmm. and he's depressed because he's been beating his mm -hmm. head against the wall, mm -hmm. trying to get financing for this and that and you know, it really touched me and that's where our relationship really started. And so these lunches went over a period of several years. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, ten years. Eight, ten years, eight, eight and you're recording years. most of that. No, I didn't start recording until oh. about four years before he died, when, okay. he, when he said this thing about the autobiography. Mm -hmm. And he said, why don't you tape it and put it in your bag? And, and, and that's what happened. So that's the book that you know about. My Lunches with Orson, for is, those of you who don't. Which is out and uh, has been very successful. In hardcover, though, I think that's not available anymore, but it is available still in, in, in softcover mm -hmm. from Amazon or wherever. And um, it's amazing. It's an amazing book because, because it's Orson talking frankly, never thinking that anything he's saying is being paid attention to by anybody else. Can you pick a... I know there are gazillions no. of them. You can't pick a favorite story? No. All that's, right. that's just not possible. It's a good question. Good reportage. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> but there isn't, there is, there's no such thing. Come on, how about when, what's his, okay, somebody came to his... Burt Reynolds comes over to, not Burt Reynolds, much more important. Okay. Uh, Burt, Burt, uh, 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 Not uh, Schneider. No, no, no Burt, not, not even Burt. Oh, uh, not even Burt. Uh, 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 the greatest actor at the moment in the Oh, world. Laurence Olivier. No, no. the greatest actor, we don't consider Olivier, you should read the book sometime, yeah. what Orson <laughs> says about Olivier. Um, just, you know, give me a moment, married to Elizabeth Taylor. Richard Burton. Richard Burton. That's the Burt that I was looking for. Okay. So Richard Burton comes over to our table. There is a Laurence Olivier story that you've told me, though, that I can't remember what it was, and that's why it came to my mind. Yeah, but maybe, anyway, yeah, maybe it's a hated story, but it was a Laurence Olivier story. He had some story. issues with Olivier. Yes. Uh, but uh, they were in competition for who made the better Shakespeare films, and mm -hmm. I don't think there's any question about that. But anyway, mm -hmm. Richard Burton comes over to the table. Now, to me, he's not Richard. He's Burton. Right. He's the biggest star in the world. And he says, oh, Orson, how are you? And he says, fine. And Orson's a little cool. And he says, Elizabeth is outside. She would love to come in to say hello. Now, we know she's talking, he's talking about his wife, Elizabeth Taylor. And Orson says, just, I'll see her on the way out. And I kick him, I kick him under the table. And he pushes away and he says, on the way out, bye-bye. He's rude and dismissive. Wow. And when he le Burton leaves, I said, Orson, what's the matter with you? What, why are you like this? Mm -hmm. He said, terrible waste of talent. He had a great talent. She, fine, who cares, but he had a great talent. And they threw it away to this nonsense with it. You know, she was doing junk. 
from Orson's point of view. Wow. Once he married Elizabeth, he became oh. a movie star instead mm-hmm. of the great actor he was. Mm-hmm. And it's true about Burton's work from this magnificent potential. Mm-hmm. He gave it up for fame and money. Although Virginia <coughs> Woolf is pretty damn good. Well, that was much later, and yeah. he got back to things. Mm-hmm. But that's it's, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's a great example, but that wasn't what he was doing at the right. time. Right. It's, it's also great for Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Orson was not being fair to Elizabeth either. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was mad at Burton, because at that time, a lot of people in this business considered that Burton had thrown away a great, great talent for this fame mm-hmm. and superficiality of movie stardom and so mm-hmm. on. Anyway, um, and then he says to me, and don't kick me anymore, you know? First of all, I've got bad ankles. That's why I wear these boots. Secondly, I don't need a Jewish Jiminy Cricket. I don't need, a, I don't need you to be my conscience. Uh, and he repeats, a Jewish Jiminy Cricket is not on the agenda. However he put it, he said, I, I always loved that. I said to him many times, playfully later on, don't forget I'm your Jewish Jiminy Cricket. Um, so, you know, about being Jewish, he suspected he was Jewish. He didn't believe that his father, who had had a very tough life, uh, t- uh, not a very pathetic ending, mm-hmm. was an alcoholic and mm-hmm. was not, did not have a good time mm-hmm. and blew himself off, uh, blew himself up in a certain kind of way. Uh, he just couldn't believe that man was his father. And the man who was hanging around his mother all during the time of his youth mm-hmm. was Dr. Bernstein. That was the one who introduced him to uh, theater theatrics, mm-hmm. giving him puppet shows and things, and taking mm-hmm. him to theater and so on. And s- he suspected always that that was his, that his mother had a big uh, affair with, and that it just couldn't be that his father was that Wells guy. His father must oh. have been Bernstein, and he had this Judeophilia. You know what that is? This love of Jewish mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. He would go to restaurants in London. There's a big famous I forgot what it's called, and then Paris too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would always go to those restaurants, and all of the waiters loved him and spoke a little Yiddish to him, and he just uh, had a thing about being Jewish, and he suspected that he was Jewish. That is so interesting. Yeah. Okay, so so you and Orson have this relationship. That's a scoop, actually. I don't think I've spoken about that. I love that. We're getting lots of scoops. So you also made Orson's last film. Yes. um, I I directed Orson in, in my first film and his last film, yeah. And, and just as not a throwaway, but we discussed when I first got here, Orson, the last film that Orson made is about to be released on Netflix. Yes. Which uh, your friend Peter Bogdanovich... Among others. Among others facilitated that happening. Putting it together, yeah. Out of, the, out of a lot of material that Orson had, had left behind and been unable to get the money to put together. And from what I remember Peter telling me, that was a vow he... He, a promise he made to Orson that he would make sure that film was released. Is yeah, that, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and, and I'm in it. And you're, you're in it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm in it in a longer version than Peter cut me out again. Peter and I have a history. <laughs> Peter offered me his first movie before, it was called Targets. Okay. Before uh, the famous... Um, Last Picture Show. Last no. Picture Show, yeah. 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 I had brought, I brought him to meet Bert Schneider about Last Picture Show, mm-hmm. and that deal worked, and he got to do that. But he had made one little movie before that with Boris Karloff, mm-hmm. and he offered me the lead, and I accepted. It was mm-hmm. still in my acting days. Of course, I was excited. I was gonna, and then he ended up playing the part himself. <laughs> so when I did my first movie, at Safe Place, I hired him as an actor. He came on the set and sat there for a few days, and I never used him. Oh my! But meanwhile, you guys are like still great yeah, friends. Yeah, but, but you know, I, I could be a little bitchy too. He really deserved that. And so now he had, he had 
he had control over the footage that Austin had shot of me and Paul Mazursky, mm -hmm. which is a, it's about 11 minute piece. I think I sent it to you once or something. That is an unbelievable, Did I send can, it can I post, is that a, is sure. there a way to post that? Yeah, yeah. It is an unbelievable, which I'll send it to you. I thought it was real life. I thought you guys were talking in real life. I'm a good actor. It's an, it's incredible. Because he was getting drunk and I was doing what Orson wanted, which was to attack him for various you reasons. You love women, and it was yeah. about you loving yeah. women. Yeah, and about Orson, the character Orson was playing, mm -hmm. who was not Orson, right? but who was gonna be played by uh, by John Huston, and was played by John Huston, off camera. Okay. It's got a serious problem because he always gets into fights with his leading men, and Orson wanted me to hint at a certain kind of potential homosexuality mm. thing. He, Peter took all that out of me because they didn't have a reverse, he explained to me. Because John Houston wasn't mm -hmm. there. It oh. was Orson playing the part. So. Right. But what he left in was me and Mazursky kind of fighting a little bit, and it's very fun. It's fantastic. Oh, you saw it? You saw yeah, it? Yeah, I saw it. It's yeah. about three minutes. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, well, I still wish, you know. I think, and and I, I, think I totally thought it was stuff. real. I think it even with me still. For... Wait, so that wasn't in the film? What? That three minutes? What? The three minutes that you did with Mazursky, is that in the film? Yes. Oh, it is? I okay. you said you saw it. I saw, you sent me just the clip. All I saw oh, was no. the clip. That, that clip is the whole nine or ten, whatever it is, minutes. Okay. He used three, I'd say, I, I think. Oh, okay. And he explained to me. I said to Peter, why? I'm sure you've cut me out. And he said, no, you're in. It's good. Yeah, but I couldn't use all the stuff, you know, uh, you know, anyway, because Orson wasn't there. Right. Orson was there instead of uh, John Houston. Anyway, the point is, see the movie and judge for yourself. I don't want to. I don't want to make, I don't have an opinion about it, but you get, you'll see a lot of Orson's work, but otherwise you wouldn't have seen, and that's the good news. Which is fantastic. Yeah. So, so... And if you like the female body, you'll see a lot of, one of the most lovely creatures in the world, Oya Kadar, the, mm -hmm. the woman who Orson loved for the last 30 years of his life, and the woman who stars with him in my last movie, Last Picture Show, uh, Last Picture Show, um, in a, what's it called, my last, what's the movie? A safe place? No, with yeah. Orson. Uh, oh, um, someone to love. Mm -hmm. um, he's got, they've, he's got so many minutes of Orson of, of her walking around naked in that movie within the movie that, for those of you connoisseurs of mm -hmm. female be beauty, I think you'll enjoy it. Wow. So okay. So speaking of you and your relationship with women, you did a trilogy about, about women that honors women shopping, eating. What what? what is, how can you call it a trilogy? Well. There's a lot more than three, actually. Yeah. But they call, they call, I've heard tell no, about. but that was before it became a five-pack. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's eating, mm -hmm. going shopping, mm -hmm. uh, baby fever. Mm -hmm. Eating, going shopping, baby fever. Oh, uh, Irene and Time, which is about mothers and fathers and daughters. Daughters and fathers, Irene and Time. Eating, baby shopping. fever, shopping. shopping. What's the other one? Um... The M word and the M word. Hello. About menopause. Yes, you're in that <laughs> I'm one. I'm in that That's one. That's right. Which no one can believe looking at you, but you are in that one. Uh, and I was in that time. Yes. Yes. Well, so uh, and you you're great in that. And and that's yeah. So those are my five films of the women's five pack now. So what? Right. It was a three pack when when then. Yeah, yeah. So what inspired? I mean, it, it's pretty amazing, and and they are incredible films because. They do celebrate women in a You have a female sensibility, an understanding, a compassion, and empathy 
and you celebrate women in a way that is really not done in film. That's true because I love <laughs> they're the saviors of the human race for mm -hmm. me in my in my estimation. You know, I was just lucky to have a mother who let me in. Mm -hmm. She didn't say you're a boy, go out and play sports. Mm -hmm. And so I got to hear them mm -hmm. and, and be with them. And my mother and her lady friends played cards every Thursday, played bridge. Mm -hmm. And what did they talk about? The boys at school were talking about sports, mm -hmm. about cars, mm -hmm. about wars, games, and things. Right. Like. And the women were talking about their hearts, their feelings, their emotions, their needs. And it was so clear to me which side of that fence I felt I belonged on. Mm -hmm. And they let me in. Mm -hmm. And they didn't say, you're a boy, you can't cross this line. So I got to really the greatest advantage because I was a boy. I had all of that automatically handed to me. Mm -hmm. But I had access to this other world, which was so much more about the internal, which is why I make movies. You know, It's so much more about, about the real beingness rather than the, the games you play to survive, which is what men do, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and um, those women were not hesitant, and my mother was not hesitant to, to be, while I was there, 12, 13, 14, talking about whose heart was broken and who was hoping for this and dreaming of that, and, uh, and it was such a beautiful world, mm -hmm. such a kind of, um, also an aesthetically beautiful world, which mm -hmm. men's God knows wasn't. <laughs> uh, and and uh, and so and my mother would take me shopping with her. I got to see this wonderful side of life that men didn't see, and then I got to listen to this part of the heart and the feelings. And I was, I, I mean, I used to go around at 24, 25. I was writing things about how the vote should be taken away from men, and then <laughs> committees of women should be founded. I can show you written things in magazines mm -hmm. put together to decide which men are entitled to get the vote back, you know? <laughs> because it was so clear that men were just, well, look what's going on now. Yeah. This is a perfect time, a perfect mm -hmm. example of this. Mm -hmm. So um, they're, they're, it's hopefully their last gasp now, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I think to a large extent. I mean, the, the, the way it's been, it's not far from over, but mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I think there's gonna be a great reaction to this if women do what they're supposed to do, which they started to do this year. Mm -hmm. You know, it, we'll see what happens. And if young kids, do what they're supposed to do. Anyway. So did your did your mother so so your mother let you in? Did she accept and appreciate the sensitive side of you? Oh my God, she encouraged it. She, and she encouraged it. Yeah, she 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 loved it. Mm -hmm. I got to play the girl parts in camp, as you know, and I was gorgeous, <laughs> and I got all that attention. So I, I understood what that feeling was of mm -hmm. the power over over men that based on the external and, mm -hmm. and how superficial what, and where it wasn't when it wasn't. I mean, I, I got to get see a lot of dimensions, and it 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 never got in the way of my male loving of women. Mm -hmm. It just sort of made me really care about them and, and about civilization that could be saved by them ultimately. Did Orson appreciate that part of you? Orson said, the, you know what he said in Paris? What? It was a headline in Le Monde. Le Monde is a big mm -hmm. French newspaper. I've been in it. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. For what reason? Um, an article on me. Oh, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a headline mm -hmm. quoting Orson Welles. Henry, Henri and moi, Henry and I, mm -hmm. are girlfriends. Le petit ami. And it's, what? What kind of a statement? What does that mean? Because yeah. they did an article when we both were in Paris trying to raise money for something. We got a lot of press. Mm -hmm. and there were a lot of pictures of us. And he said, he's the only person that I can privately sit with and talk about my feelings and my emotions and not feel self-conscious about it, who shares with me at exactly the same level his feelings and his emotions 
and it's not always about things and stuff. And he always felt that artists used the, the feminine, came from what is what, there's a great quote of Artisans about that, which I'll at some point send you. Mm. Uh, it's a wonderful quote. But all, uh, he feels that, he felt that all uh, artists, male artists, have a great female, in the, femaleness inside of them. Wow. And that their art is created from that female part mm -hmm. of themselves. So. And so he embraced that with you. Oh, he loved it. Mm -hmm. And he, and he was, you know, I mean, he was dual about it because mm -hmm. when he was with boys, mm -hmm. he could be like a little bit of a piggy. And <laughs> when when certain people sat down at the table with him, suddenly I saw an Orson, and, and they were talking about girls from the past, and I was mm -hmm. like, Orson, what are you, you know? And oh, Henry doesn't like, it. you know, he was like, it, it was. He, he still played the game both ways, but, but when he was alone with me, mm -hmm. he would really, a side of him that came out that I don't think showed very much, mm -hmm. was his genuine, empathetic, soft, caring, uh, feeling side. And he was, a, he was the best girlfriend I have ever had, you know. That's, that's quite a friendship. That's yeah. quite a lovely thing. Yeah, it was um, very special. So let's, so let's move Closer to the present, so okay. Train to Zakopane, like yeah. So that's your that's your most recent film. That's correct. And and tell everybody a little bit about why you did that film. Well, I I did it as a play first, mm -hmm. and it ran for a year here mm -hmm. uh, in Santa Monica, and um, ran in Israel, by the way, which was nice. It was picked up by an Israeli producer and very successfully ran in there, which made me translated it in Hebrew. Did you go see it? No, I didn't. Oh, Henry. I know. I know everybody says, "Oh, oh Henry, God. tell me about." lazy spoiled um, but um, I, we made it into a film mm -hmm. and I'm very happy about it and it's coming out all over the place this year and uh, it's a very uh, it's it's a true story about my father who was on a train crossing Poland in the 1930 early 19 uh, late 1920s mm -hmm. mid to late 1920s I cheated a little in the movie actually I made it a little earlier uh, and uh, before the Nazis came to power in Germany Mm -hmm. And uh, Poland was a largely anti-Semitic country, a very famously anti-Semitic country. And he was on a train in a compartment with some other people. And the conversation came around to Jews. Mm -hmm. And suddenly they all started proving to be in one way or another anti-Semitic. But this one Polish nurse in the, in the Polish army mm -hmm. was more virulent than any of the others mm -hmm. and was uh, saying really vile anti-Semitic things. And my father, when he told me this story, he said to me, you know, I decided then something not very nice. And I never liked this story about myself. He'd kill me if he knew I made this movie. He said, you know, I decided I'll kiss the girl. And he said it in that way, but you know what he meant by kiss. Because mm -hmm. my father wouldn't speak any other way. He said, I'll, I'll kiss the girl, and then I'll tell her that I'm Jewish. So that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And that's what this movie's about. Mm -hmm. The girl, the and and what happens to her and him in the process, and uh, that's the. I, I, what made him tell you that story? Well, that's hard to say. He told me everything because mm -hmm. I spent thirty-five or thirty-eight years with my tape recorder first, and then later my little zoom lens, or mm -hmm. before the zoom lens, mm -hmm. the little Instamatic, mm -hmm. just recording his stories that were so phenomenal and wow. moving to me, mm -hmm. from his childhood in Russia to his time in Central Europe mm -hmm. to his. You know all of that, and that was one of my favorite stories always. And it was very unlike my. Oh, and then he added the coda when he talked about it. He said, mm -hmm. "And you know," he said, um, 
there's, there's a ring in that story, mm -hmm. do you remember? Uh, but, the, but she takes off her finger and puts on him and so on. He says, you know, I kept that ring in my uh, office in London, I don't know, 15 years later. And then finally when we left uh, and the, the blitz happened and the building was destroyed by the Luftwaffe, everything in my vault, in my safe went up in smokes and that letter. And, and I realized he kept that in the letter for at least 10, 15 years after this was the big love of his life. Mm -hmm. He never said anything like that, but I realized. And then it suddenly occurred to me, they were married a total of, of uh, 60 years, mm -hmm. my parents. And I never heard the story, so it suddenly occurred to me, maybe my mother never knew the story. Because this may have been a big thing in his life, much bigger than anybody was saying. And I, I, my brother doesn't think so, but I think so. Wow. I think that was a big, uh, big thing. So anyway, that's the thing I made a movie about, and I'm totally excited about it. And it's very, it's very timely that this would come out that's now, Henry, with, with what happened last yeah. week. Yeah, who knew that that would happen? I know. I have to change, the, you know, the like, book. You need to get the movie out, like, now. Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. You know, the book I'm writing... Yeah, uh, tell us about that. Book. ...has, mm -hmm. well, but apropos of that, mm -hmm. I now have to add this whole thing about this last week, which is who thought there would be a current uh, history to... The book I'm writing is uh, something I've been working on for 19 years, and finally finishing, and it is called The Third Stone on the Second Road. Did I explain that to you? You started to before that javelin came from the... Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Because the high priest of ancient Israel, Aaron, mm -hmm. wore a breastplate with 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel, and mm -hmm. the third stone on the second road was the Yahalom. Okay. In Russia, the Yahalom, there's no... The ha, there's no such thing as... There's no ha. Mm -hmm. So Henry is called Genri. Mm -hmm. So Yahalom became Yaglom. Mm -hmm. And when Yaglom traveled west to Europe, in Germany and in Europe, mm -hmm. spelled with a J, it pronounced Jaglom when mm -hmm. it got to England. Mm -hmm. So I was born Jaglom, but my parents were always Mr. and Mrs. Yaglom. Pronounced, oh. They had it spelled it the same way. Uh -huh. they, so, for, for what that's worth. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about the book. So now you're going to add a chapter. So the book no, is about... No, not a chapter. No, not a chapter. But the, what, what I'm doing in the book is some, something very fascinating and risky. Mm -hmm. But I think it works great. And we'll see who wants to... Who goes along with it. I don't think anybody's done anything like this. And it might be a violation of some acceptable, uh, you know, rule or formula. Because what I do is I use something familial from my family. Right. To set up an entire history of a country. For instance, I was born in London. Mm -hmm. I talk about my birth in London, mm -hmm. and then lead, that leads into the entire history of the Jews in England. My father's born in Russia. I talk about him in Russia, and then go back into the entire history of the Jews in Russia. My mother in Berlin. My aunt was in hiding from the Nazis mm -hmm. in Vichy, France, mm -hmm. under the occupation of the Nazis. Mm -hmm. I use that story and some of her anecdotes and then go back into the whole history of the Jews in France from the beginning. Wow. And I do that with South Africa, with, with Persia, with South America, with... All from your family? All from anecdotes related to somebody in my family. Wow. My uncle, one of my, brother, my, one of my mother's uh, cousins, mm -hmm. escaped from Nazi Germany, went to Brazil, became the foremost Cubist painter. That's the painting of my mother there, it's by him. And he was... A, no, in, in the, the other room. room. Yeah, yeah. And, and, mm -hmm. uh, and he... Uh, so I use that story mm -hmm. as a way to get to the history of the Jews in Latin America. We have company. Oh, well. <laughs> Gorbo's fine. I don't um, know how she got out, but okay. So, okay, so, uh, 
okay, so th that was a lot. It, now I understand why it took 19 years. That's a lot of research well, you had to do. I, it's research. A it's, lot. And, and I wasn't in any rush then. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, I, I now I'm just really wanting to, I'm finishing it this year. Well, now you have a, now there's sort of a very pressing reason to do it. Well, I didn't even think of that. Of course. Um, I, that's what's strange. Mm -hmm. And I've been planning all along that this year is the end of, mm -hmm. uh, finally I'm going to, I, I, poor Lauren is the one who's doing all the work. You know, Lauren, my, my assistant, Lauren. So. You don't know Lauren? I don't know if we've Lauren met. Beck? No? I don't know if we've met. Mm -hmm. What she's been, I write in longhand. Oh my God. So I give her pages and she writes it all, types it all out. Wow. And gives it back to me and then I fix it all in longhand and then she, uh, wow. and she's been doing this for 19 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Lauren Beck. Yeah. All right, so, and I don't know anything about another film. What's what's on your... I'm not talking about anything else at the moment. No. no. You're, you're all focused on the book. book. There's another book. Okay. Somebody recently discovered, I don't know how exactly that came about, that I've been doing drawings of people for I've years. Se I've seen a number of them. I've seen your Natalie Wood, which we oh. haven't talked about, Natalie. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about anybody you want. I want to talk about Natalie, but, but talk about the book first. So they're putting together a art book. Mm-hmm. Of a lot of my many, I have hundreds of drawings of people. It was strange. Many of them were just people like in the 60s hanging out at uh, Cantor's Delicatessen. Mm -hmm. But others are a lot of people who became very famous. Mm -hmm. And um, so they're putting together a kind of, I don't know, it looks like it's going to be a coffee table book with mm -hmm. one of my drawings here and me writing a little bit about that person on the left side. I think that's how it's going to come about. It's just in the, in the process of being sold now. Fantastic. So that's exciting because I never thought about drawings as something to pay attention to. You're a wonderful artist. Thank you. But what I, what, what a terrible thing happened to me at 20, at 19. Mm -hmm. At 19, I was in college and I came home and somebody gave me a birthday present. It was January. Mm -hmm. And it was a book of uh, Picasso's drawings mm -hmm. at the end of my career. I had been drawing like crazy. <laughs> Since the age of four, when my father yeah. bought for 25 cents, he bought for a quarter a drawing of mine of a bird that I have framed up here. Uh, I was drawing like crazy. And then I watched that Picasso did a line like this. And it's flawless. Mm -hmm. And I would have to struggle to figure out what, how do I get the what? And it's like that and then that. And I thought, I can't be the best at this. I can't do this. And I, I, I just stopped. And only when I came to California, it was kind of lonely. I carried a big pad around with me and I started drawing people, uh, not realizing all these people were going to become famous mm -hmm. and the book was going to gain a certain interest, uh, the drawings would eventually gain. So that's how it comes to be a book. So that seems to be a, a thread that's run through. I mean, you wanted to stop acting when Dustin got the part and you graduate. You stopped, wanted to stop drawing. Oh, good girl. So being the best good for you. is important. Nobody has said that to me. Mm -hmm. Nobody has spotted that very... Boy, that's good. It's true. Yeah, but it's great that you that you. That's really perceptive, and I hadn't even I had not I swear, ever articulated to myself. That's terrible. That's the same reason I stopped comedy because I saw Richie Pryor was better than I ever would be. Mm -hmm. I stopped acting because I saw Dusty Hoffman would be better until I could act in my movies, which was a different thing than acting. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you stopped drawing because of Picasso. I but I can relate because I stopped doing comedy for a similar... I, I stopped doing all of those things who, for a similar reason. Who was comedy? I did stand-up comedy. Who stopped you? I stopped me because, because I failed. Because I failed. Oh. 
because I had a bad set and I never got on stage again after that. Oh. It's in my book. You read it. Yeah, I don't. So that. yeah, but I, I I had one bad set and I was done. Oh my my god. father witnessed it and I was like, okay, I'm not getting back on stage. Oh my god. No. That's terrible for both of us. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What, yes, and it, it, I don't know for me if it was as much about being the best as it, yeah, I guess probably that has a little bit to do with it. So, all right, so tell us about, tell us about Natalie. This is Garbo. Hi, Garbo. Say hello to people, Garbo. Come on, come on. That's it. We've had many dogs on the show. Good girl. Christina's going to take a picture of Garbo. You'll forget a picture. Yeah, let me take I a picture. Get, I want her to be in the, in the thing you're doing. Well, she will be. She'll be there here in a second. We'll see Would her. you please, Christina, uh, please, look. She can see. She's not on the picture now. Yeah, she is. There no, we, she's not. Yeah, Garbo, look. Oh. It's just delayed. Oh, it's delayed. Yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Right. I thought she was... So, no, no, no. So, so, tell us about Natalie Wood. You How'd you meet Natalie? Natalie? Yes. Ooh. What was your relationship with Natalie? Um, I'm not going to tell you what my relationship was. Well, I know what your relationship How did you meet Natalie? Boy, girl. Was, yes. Um, how did I meet Natalie? I was uh, at a party at uh, uh, Roddy McDowell. You know who that yeah. was? Yes, I do. And um, at Roddy McDowell's at the beach. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember if I was who I was with or if I was on my own. I think I was on my own. Mm -hmm. And Natalie took an interest in me, and I took an interest in her. Uh, were you kids? Were you young? We were, no, well, yes, by now, my, my standards now, we were infants. <laughs> we were 25. That's 26, young. 26, 25, 26, mm -hmm. we were about the same age. And, uh, and we, I had a girlfriend in New York. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go into all this now. But Come on, it's a good story. I had a very nice girlfriend in New York, and mm -hmm. that had been going on for a year or a little more. Mm -hmm. And now I was out in L.A., and things weren't working so well with the girlfriend in New York. Mm -hmm. That's like, mm -hmm. and um, I saw Natalie, and we started a relationship. But that girlfriend eventually, no, that's not true. Yes, that's true. That girlfriend eventually got me back. Oh, from Natalie Wood. From Natalie Wood. She Holy was. Shit. She was an actress. Oh. She did a lot of television stuff. Yeah. Uh, and um, and uh, yeah, but, well, it's not as she was terrific. Mm -hmm as was Natalie, mm -hmm. but uh, Natalie was, was a very complicated creature and in a lot of pain mm -hmm. and in a lot of need. Mm -hmm. And um, I was either too young or too much into my own mm -hmm. world to go the distance that was necessary. Uh, she, mm -hmm. had, she had a lot of fixed fears and I, you know, I tried to teach her to swim, mm -hmm. you know, her terror of drowning. You know that, yes? I mean, I read about it after the fact. Oh, you didn't know about it before? Mm -hmm. She had had this accident in a movie, and she almost drowned. Mm -hmm. And she was terrified from then on. Terrified. Mm -hmm. Like no adult I'd never met. So I um, used to take her into the pool mm -hmm. in Bel Air, where mm -hmm. she lived. She had a pool. She never used it. I got her in on the side. I got her holding the side. I'm holding her. I'm taking her. And it was... It was I was trying so hard to break this spell of mm -hmm. fear, and just as I was unable to do that, on an emotional scale, I've never put it this way, but it's actually quite accurate, I was not, not able to break some of the fears that had been deeply inculcated in her by a childhood with a mother who would 
stand off camera when she was a child actress mm -hmm. with her favorite doll. And Natalie had to cry and didn't know how to cry as an actress. Mm -hmm. So she'd stand off, off camera and when a director said action, she would tear the doll to bits. Oh my rip God. Rip it to shreds and beat the shit out of it. And, and Natalie would watch it crying, but she knew she couldn't say anything because she has a part to play. So she said her lines and that's how she taught oh her to act. Oh my. I don't know anybody's talked about this yet, so maybe I shouldn't have talked about it. I never would have while she was alive. But I, you know, wow. she should, the people should understand that mm -hmm. about her. So, so um, that was one wow. dimension. Mm -hmm. A terrible need to please based mm -hmm. upon her mother. Mm -hmm. A terrible resentment of the need to please mm -hmm. based upon that need mm -hmm. to please. Mm -hmm. A ter total fear, irrational fear of certain things like, like water. Mm -hmm. Uh, and look how she died. So now, how did why? What would she be doing out on a boat if she's got this terrible fear she of water? She was drunk. Mm -hmm. Another thing she had was a problem drinking. Mm -hmm. And when she drank, she got very sad. Mm. And in my opinion, there's no question what happened. These two guys had a fight. They were drinkers, all of them. They were drinking, and they had a big screaming argument. Mm -hmm. She stormed off, mm -hmm. went down to her room. She could still hear them fighting. She mm -hmm. decided to hell with this. I'm going to go back to shore, mm -hmm. to the hotel that's there in what's the island, you know, the Catalina. Catalina. Mm -hmm. And she put on this safety thing and got down in the thing because she was too drunk to realize what she was doing, mm -hmm. fell over and it was too, they were loud and screaming. They had music on and so on and nobody heard. She didn't, they didn't hear her. So you do believe it's an accident? Of course mm -hmm. it's an accident. Mm -hmm. These disgusting mm -hmm. vultures who are making a kind of publicity out of it, mm -hmm should be ashamed of themselves. Mm -hmm. It's vulgar and, and obscene. Mm -hmm. She's, <laughs> there's nothing to it except this terrible accident. Now she had a big fight with her husband, that's mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like to talk about that, of course, but uh, he didn't kill her, nobody killed her. Uh, she, you know, had to be incredibly drunk to go in and I was going to say, to have that kind of fear of water and then to... But she had a safety thing on mm -hmm. and uh, it was a little bit to shore. It's not a big thing. And I can, I can completely mm -hmm. imagine her feeling, I can do this. I just won't be here anymore. Fuck them. Mm -hmm. I stupid men. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. she was drunk mm -hmm. and fell. Mm -hmm. And then the, it didn't help. When she was in water, she didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I, I tried to teach her to swim. As soon as I got her out, like... A length like that mm -hmm. she would start paddling hysterically and I said no no paddling just mm -hmm. one you know and no she couldn't she it was mm -hmm. just so heartbreaking mm -hmm. so heartbreaking hey so she was a really lovely lady a really good girl a really good girl did you stay friends through her life yeah mm -hmm. not good friends because mm -hmm. I don't know if I should even go into this but she's um, good good you get things you get things mm -hmm. I, I kind of want to say this uh, don't know why, I don't know if I should. She, she called me after she was married to, for the first time mm -hmm. to R.J. Wagner. Mm -hmm. I don't know him. Mm -hmm. That's why I feel I can talk about this, but that's not a good excuse. And then she, after me, she married this guy, uh, other guy, and I had a child with him. Mm -hmm. And then broke up with him, this English guy, uh, and um, got back together with R.J. Mm -hmm. And I got a phone call one night from her is saying this? No. I don't know. My father would say no, for sure. My mother would say, why not? Well, we already know where you're going with this. I know. Well, I'm thinking. What? 
Because, I mean, if you don't want to say it, I'm guessing there was an indiscretion. No. 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 Okay, now i got to say it because it's, <laughs> so it's so much milder than your, oh, your filthy uh, mind. Yeah, but, but sex is not filthy. No, you know, your, your whatever it is, salacious mind. No, 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 no. She called me up, and she was drunk. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm going to marry RJ again. I said, oh, okay. I wish you luck. You don't wish me luck. Yes, I do. What do you mean? Of course I do. You don't. I know what you think. What, what do I think? You think that it's crazy. You think that I'm nuts. You think I'm going back to some place where it's not real. Well, I've got news for you. You Because I used to tell her about not being... We had big arguments. Mm. She would go out. Oh, let me finish. Mm -hmm. So she said, but I, well, I got news for you. Life's not real. And she slams the phone. And then she married me again. Wow. So we didn't see each other for quite a period of time. Mm -hmm. Um... What I wanted to tell you, what was it that I just wanted to tell you that just triggered something? The thing about Natalie saying that you would have fights all the time about it not being real, about life not being real. I had, um, I had a good one. See, you should go there. Um, wait, I'm trying to... It was about Natalie. Uh, um, life not being real. Oh, no. Oh, God. Now, Christina, do you remember where he was going? No, no, no. I don't anyway, remember. Uh, uh, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. The point was that, uh, you know, she... she had suicide attempts, mm -hmm. and um, I tried to talk, talk her, you know, there's a way of trying to condition somebody out of doing certain things mm -hmm. by in, inserting yourself into the process so that if she has a particular um, way of going about doing something, mm -hmm. you run the hot water, you light the candles, you do certain things, you, you inject in there, call me. Mm -hmm. Candles, get in the bathtub, uh, take the wine, call Henry, da da da. So, and we did this thing which worked for a while, a couple mm -hmm. of times. Um, and um, it's pulling somebody down from the precipice when you're not there mm -hmm. because you're not allowed to finish your act. I didn't say to her, don't do it. Mm -hmm. I said, you can do it, you can kill yourself, you want to kill yourself, but you can't do it till you've gotten in touch with me, uh -huh. till you have these steps fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And that gave her a program. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I know that sounds a little crazy. It doesn't. I'm a 12-stepper, and we do similar things to keep people sober. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that about 12-step thing, mm -hmm. but that's uh, good. That mm -hmm. instinctively, I, I had used it with somebody before, mm -hmm. and it was quite successful with the other person, and sometimes successful with her. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got a couple of calls. Mm -hmm. It also gave them an excuse to call when they were depressed or lonely, mm -hmm. or and not necessarily on the precipice. Mm -hmm. But I accepted the... Was it a game or the reality? Whatever mm -hmm. it was, wasn't important. She felt the need uh, to, to, to say she's in that kind of trouble mm -hmm. and yet giving them a way to make contact, mm -hmm. so which enables me to get, and you can't, in, you can't uh, in those days there were answering services. Mm -hmm. So you, you couldn't leave me a message, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So you had to say, part of the deal is you, until I call you back, mm -hmm. you can't take the pills. You can do it on the other, you can listen to music, you can light the candles, you can have the wine. And then, as soon as we speak, you can do it. It sounds crazy. I know a little bit. No, no, no. You do understand. I do understand. So I've been, and with a few people, I've been, that has been helpful. And um, uh, once or twice with her. So, so uh, but, but find that fundamentally, it wasn't a stable relationship, mm -hmm. is, is what I'm trying to say. So I went back to the other person for a while. Nice other person. Nice other person. Yeah. Uh, wasn't threatening to kill herself, and no. that was a lot of work. That's a lot of pressure. Uh, 
I, it's not, that's not the problem from, no, but the problem was uh, the self-hate. Uh, mm. the, the, I don't understand, I've just never been, the self, you know, dislike, mm. despising self, poor people who, whatever. Well, look, because she didn't have a mother like look, you did, who celebrated right. That's right. who she was. Yeah. So can you imagine? She had a father who was so weak that he let her mother do that. Mm -hmm. The mother sits on the set and like she wants her to be a big star. Mm -hmm. So cause whatever pain you it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. One of the things caused her to fall in water in shooting a movie. Mm -hmm. That gave her a lifelong fear, which ended up causing her death. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you want to know who's responsible for her death, it's not R.J. It's her mother. Wow. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, it, they say if it's not one thing, it's your mother. That's yeah, well, no, that's not the line. It's, there is a line. A if it's not line. one thing, it's your mother. If there's another version yeah. of that that I really I like. If there's not, if mm -hmm. it's not one thing, it's your mother. Yeah. So, all right. So, winding down here. So, you've got two books coming. You've got two books coming out. You've got your film, Train to Zakopane, which is going to be released again. Yeah. Is there anything that Henry Jaglum hasn't done that you? Plenty, plenty. What, so, tell me one thing in that you'd still like to accomplish. That you haven't yet. I wanted to make a movie for every letter of the alphabet. <laughs> now, you know, I've got always, I've got Baby Fever, I've got Can She Bake a Cherry Pie, and Deja Vu, and eating, and Festival in Cannes, and going shopping, and uh, I can't remember now. H? H, what's my H? I don't know. Hollywood Dreams. Oh, hello. I, what's my I? Irene. Irene in time, mm -hmm. see? J, just 45 minutes from Broadway. Okay, I don't have a K. That gets me crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, I think there's, I, I think I've made 21, so okay. that means I need five more, so uh, let's see what we can do. I love that. Okay. I hope I'll be in at least one of those. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, um, the one you're in. Thank you. Yeah. Henry gave me, I thought 30 seconds, but he corrected me before. I have an hour, I have a minute and a half yeah. with Michael Imperioli one-on-one. -on -one. That was uh, the joy of my life. It really was. It, it was, and Michael has become a great friend. Oh, great! He was born on my father's birthday, so we have this. So you're kind in of, touch with him? Yes, nice. and he just recently came with his book and read it to Women Who Write. And now I'm, I oh, love his book, and I'm totally spaced. I read his book in one sitting, as you did mine, which I am so grateful oh, to God, you for. Cool. Your book is so wonderful. <laughs> I hope you use the blurb I gave you sometime. It's on. It's on the book. Oh, it is good. Oh, hell yeah! Yes. It's on the inside. It's on the outside. Okay. It's it's on Amazon. It's everywhere. You deserve it. It's really an amazing work. And it's the kind of thing of an entry into a world I know nothing about. Mm. Completely different uh, socioeconomic, mm. all of that. Yes. And, and, and really gave me a human understanding of a world. That, you know what a gift that is? To give a person entree into a world that is completely foreign to them. Wow. And you feel, you recognize the common humanity of yourself and the people in that world. I mean, that's Thank an astonishing, astonishing accomplishment. And you did that in that book. Thank you so much. The title of which is? Don't Jump. Don't Jump. Get it now. Wow, Henry. That's, uh, we have to end there because I'm sorry. I want them to remember that. You don't want that. to go further than that. <laughs> Henry, okay, don't you. jump. Henry Jaglum. So, Train to Zakopane. What's the name of the book? The long title? I don't know. I don't know. What book? Know. Oh, what book? Yeah, the book that's coming. Your the Jewish book. book. Yes, the Jewish book. I don't know, but it's... It's got a long name, Yes, but then, well, people have tried to... This is what it is. Okay. I, I have been calling it uh, um, uh, the, third the Third Stone on the Second Row, colon, A Brief History, A, fa a Family Memoir, and a, 
Manhattan and a brief history of the Jewish people. People told me, get rid of Third Stone on the second row and just use a brief hist uh, a family memoir and a brief history of the Jewish people. I don't feel... Right. That's too dry. I don't it's like dry. that. Yeah. It's dry. Because mm -hmm. it's a memoir. Yeah. Family. Mm -hmm. Right. The other's history. I, so I don't know. Third Stone on the second row doesn't mean anything to anybody. So. But it's also, I have to say, it's very difficult to remember. I've been trying to remember yeah. it. You want you want a title yeah. like that? Yeah. Who people, knows? Who knows yeah. that Aaron, the brother of Moses, wore a plate with the eight, twelve star stones for the twelve tribes of Israel? You know, it's it's way past. I don't know. I'm going to find some good title though. You will. You definitely. You think will. that's too dry? I think the the ending part is too dry. Yeah. I, I don't want to read that. It sounds boring. Yeah. The first part sounds interesting, but I can't remember it. Yeah. So you need a title that people can and remember. Do you like the word memoir or not in that? You know. Or rather not. Is that dry? Does that? I'm I'm reading Justine Bateman's book right now called Fame, and she does an entire rant at the beginning of her book about how much she hates memoir and she won't read a memoir. And really, her, her book is a little bit of a memoir. It talks about her fame, but she will not call it that. She had fights with publishers about it. That's interesting. So That's maybe not memoir in the title. I don't know. Okay. Um, but I know you'll come up and with the right thing. And the brief history of the Jewish people sounds very. That boring. sounds so boring. boring like any, right? And I'm Jewish, and it sounds really yeah, boring. Yeah. So. I let, what's, what was the first, what's the first part? The third stone on the second row. I, maybe just the third stone. No, that doesn't mean anything. But then anything. it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, if anybody out there has an anybody, idea for Henry. You know how to get in touch with me, through her. That's right. You come through me and through on the Facebook. And, um, okay. But he's, he's like, he's going to finish it this year, so you have a little more time. By, 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 the, by, by New Year's? No, I'm going to finish no. it. Yeah. I'm going to finish it, but I'm not going to yet... It's gonna right. now. It's gonna be prepared for packaging and selling. Of course. So I need the title, please. So help, please. Uh, I, I like this challenge. Okay. I, I'm gonna actually be thinking about it tonight. And anybody who wants, I'll send them an advance copy. Ooh. So uh, by email, if you give me an email mm -hmm. address, that you can read and see. Maybe it'll inspire you to give me a title. I love that. All right. That's well, fun. You know, it's yeah, like it a is contest. Fun. It is. It's a contest. I like that. Well, a title will, you, a contest. Will, you, will you give them a little blurb? Oh, are you kidding? If you get the if you get the title, you get a page thanking you for the title. <laughs> I think I'll be working on this okay. today. All right. <laughs> Henry Jacklin, thank you so My much. Entire pleasure. I adore you. Thank you. Ah. you. Me, you too. Thank you, Christina. Thank you so much. Thank and we'll you, see Christina. You all, we'll see you all next week with Lynn Stewart, Miss Yvonne from Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. See oh you boy, then. I love that. I do. Yeah, great. Yeah.